Because I think uh, I think we're good the way this is gonna go. My Zencaster, uh, you should see what it looks like. Yours is probably knowing you, Rollo. Maybe this will tie in later the way that you know the episode goes. But you're a very logical person, and I don't know you. I don't know you personally. Like I've never been in your personal space. But you also strike me as someone who's relatively clean and organized. And um, your little Zencaster, where you probably have beautiful, like this is episode two forty five, and that's the title of it. And you go in, and you know exactly where to go. My Zencaster says things like, "I got a shit," and Aaron's not here. And things like that. And my it's a mess. And it's just uh, inside jokes and like slurs that I used. <laughs> and now that I'm thinking about it, I can see it at the very top of my screen here, what you've titled it, which means every time anybody's ever been on the show, they could also see what I titled episodes. And I'm <laughs> 100% sure I'm comfortable with that, knowing some of the titles that I've used. Um, but nobody's ever mentioned it. You t- title it like, our guest is a moron. That's so it's a good like Zencaster.com um, slash TLE slash this guy's an idiot. Let's la- we're gonna laugh at him. <laughs> let me get okay. So look, so in my Zencaster, one of the episodes that you and Slappy were on, it says Farby and Rapple. <laughs> Farby and Rapple. Um, so yeah. That's what I. That's 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 what goes on in my brain. <laughs> so you know what's funny? People accuse you're not the only one that does this. I, but I get accused of being like way more organized and having it together than than I actually do. Some really things I could be very organized with. Other things I just fly by the seat of my pants on. Mm. Um, including like, this like podcast. what do you what do you fly? Really, is that a is the podcast a fly by the seat of your pants thing? Yes. It's so much more organized than that in how it sounds. No, we don't. No, it's 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 usually, uh, you know, we record. Well, it's it's Monday, and uh, we record Monday nights and release Monday nights, and we typically decide on a topic for an episode. Unless we have a guest, then we'll like try to plan it a little bit ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Um, just coordinating with the guests and be like, "Hey, come on and talk about this subject or whatever." But if it's just Slappy and I, it's normally around like two o'clock in the afternoon. I'll send a text mm-hmm. and be like, yeah. "Hey, what should we talk yes. about tonight?" And then, <laughs> and then we don't actually talk. We talk about something else. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then that sounds more relatable. Slappy, Slappy comes on like you just came on right now and goes, "Uh, so what are we going to talk about?" Yeah. Who, uh, then- yeah. So, dude, the amount of times where the three of us have sat down, where okay. It'll be like 6.30 sometimes. <laughs> and I'll text and be like, we recording? And and they'll go, yeah. And then we record an hour later. So I'm, first of all, even less time in between that. And then second of all, like you just said, you'll, you'll we'll get together and you'll talk about it right before you start. You go, what do you want to talk about? And there's been times, I don't know if you and Slappy have had that, but there's been times where the three of us have gotten on the horn and we're like, I have no fucking idea. What has gone on over the past week? I'm lost and confused. And we end up just Googling things as we're talking. <laughs> and that's that's how the show goes for us. So it's not even it's fly by the seat of your pants what you'd use for that, because it's really right in the cockpit and hit go and get going. That's how I like to do it. Yeah, no. Yeah, that's because I mean, that's what slapping 
Slappy and I try to do. We're just having conversations about certain topics. And, and even when we just had the blog, our, our goal was to just write like we're writing to a friend of ours. And so when we're yeah. just having conversations, we're just like talking like we would talk to a friend or something. So I do have a notebook that I keep with me. And I do. You. And you know, this is this is where it like the facade of organization comes in uh-huh. because I'll, I'll write the date and the margin <laughs> and then write the episode number with uh, kind of the topic. So yeah. I go back, let me go back a page, uh, top of the page, December 14th, 2020, 229, Lee, Block mm-hmm. Press. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are my notes. Making fun of Fat Konkin and AIP. <laughs> tractors. And then I have uh, a I'm link. sure tractors uh, I, is on every, is on every single yes. one, right? So, <laughs> next, so, and then store.mblockpress.com. Like I'll write like uh-huh. things for their, for their, uh, what's it called? Their plugs. On yeah. The, and, on and the it's end. a physical notebook. Mm-hmm. And then next, wow. next December 21st, 2020. Ep 230 Christmas and Bitcoin. Tractors. December twenty eighth. You know what the worst part of the tractors is at the end, like, <laughs> and it's underlined. You would think, uh, you, I you think that if it, you would think that if it was procedural, it would be right on top because when you wrote the notebook out initially, you'd you'd always put tractor at the beginning because you know you're going to say it every time. But that's not how you work. You remember every individual time. After you finished every other part of the plan to put tractors, which is almost like no, no, why no, no, even no, use the is, notebook. <laughs> no, this is what I do. I and then the next one, December twenty eighth, twenty twenty, episode two three three one, gelman amnesia. First note, tractors. Oh okay. and then January eleventh, episode two thirty three. Wow, Capital that's chaos. Bitcoin. Tractors. Wow, like that's every, total chaos. It just says you just page through this book and it has the date and the episode. Like number and, somewhere. and it just says tractors somewhere on just, that page. It's just Whether says, it always be, on the top, just tractors. tractors. No, that's in, yeah. What is the, uh, the scene from the shining where they find the notebook? Jack, Jack is a dull boy or whatever it says on there. I feel like if, if somebody is going through your house and they find this notebook, tractors, 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 yeah. and there's pages of the word tractors. Yeah. It's a date with a number in uh-huh. sequence. With just like weird, kind of vague thing. Like, uh, here's, here's, I'm just gonna go back a few. Actually, the last couple I haven't even written notes down for. Uh, wow. Fat Conkins with Steppy tractors. GM. So Fat Conkins already appeared twice in the very recent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big topic so maybe, on the show. Yeah, it's gonna be cut. There's, there's just like trends that happen. They uh-huh. get made like they just start happening like tractors. There was, I think, like it was probably like two episodes in a row. I mentioned tractors for for some reason, and Slappy's like, "Oh, I owe you twenty bucks. You got tractors." And and from then on, I just started saying tractors. And then Bitcoin. I mean, let's face it, we we pretty much became a Bitcoin podcast. You did, um, yeah. Which I'm cool. I'm I'm happy with. But then now, yeah, it's really uh, useful for my rotation. Yes. So now we're going to become a uh, fat conkin Bitcoin tractor. Podcast. podcast. Wow. So this is now so three times we've mentioned Fat Conkin. Fat Conkin. Yeah, that man. That meme I, is... Uh, I can't I, even remember where that came. I'm pretty sure I created that, but I have no fucking idea where it came from. <laughs> Did I, you I remember the... it was a Discord call, and uh, I just noticed he was fat, and I don't remember what happened from there. I was like, wow, you know what? He's really fat for a guy who tells people to grow cucumbers, which I don't think he has ever done, but... <laughs> 
<laughs> but so, you know, the, the cucumber meme do. was speaking of creating memes. That that's was you. my throwing. Yes. I, I'm that's so you. proud of that. I'm so yeah. proud when I see that in the wild and from someone that I don't know. I know. It's um, nice. So speaking of fat conkin memes, did you see my uh, the great fatsby one I made? No, I didn't see the great fatsby. Oh, All right, man. hold on. Let me, uh, let me see if I can Let's find it. Real trade quick. these. Trade these. Yeah, fat conkin is. Uh, I'm really glad fat conkin made it over here. I'm glad fat conkin is making it everywhere. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah, I I put the uh, that uh, that cargo ship. Oh my god! And no. I put, I just, I just put Konkin <laughs> over no, it. No, did you? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, that's incredible. All right, I just texted it to you. Okay. Let's take a look. Oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> oh that's great. It's a great Gatsby <laughs> cover with the glasses and his little mouth and mustache. That's awesome. Yeah, the great, great. Fatsby. I watch it. The great Fatsby. There it is. <laughs> Holy shit. I, it's a very so, irreverent to make fun of poor Konkin like that, but I do really like the guy, I think. I mean, I've read some of his stuff at this point. I, I got pressured into it after I fumbled all over some Konkinisms on Pete's show. I was like, let me yeah. fucking just read this guy. And and I read a little bit of it. I like him. Um, <laughs> I was disappointed at the lack of chili recipes, but uh, I was otherwise satisfied. Well, it's it's funny that what we're talking about because this is going to be a, a perfect uh, segue into why I brought you on. But uh, yeah, I have two Konkin books. I have what's it, uh, the Libertarian Manifesto, and then mm -hmm. uh, an, an Agorist Prime Rib. And, uh, <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I never heard the second one. That's a good one. Okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like I have got nothing against uh, Konkin. I I, I I I've never like sat down and read them, but I'm pretty familiar with them and, and agorism and stuff. And it all makes sense to me. I agree with it. I just, I wonder if it's one of those things where uh, the Konkin, I call them agorists in personality, uh, are just really annoying about it. Just like Hoppa is great, but then you get like the helicopter pilots yeah, who claim to be Hoppians that like right. read one cherry picked line out of one book uh -huh. and they think that he's like promoting monarchy and right racial separatism and stuff and you're just like I, just like what in the world is the matter with you i think and this is a wild shot in the dark but now you're one of four people car being another one who i've talked to about it and they're like i really never read Konkin, no interest in Konkin. but a reason why i mentioned you car a few other people is because you're all you are all gray marketeers uh as cringe a term as it is, you guys are all doing the Konkin stuff. Yeah. And so it's just funny to me that Konkin seems to be appealing largely to a group of people who aren't doing the Konkin stuff naturally. And I do wonder what that means. Like, what is the group that's attracted to reading about gray markets as opposed to participating actively in them? Because there's a whole lot of people who, are, who say that they're agorists who've got very little interest in, in new gray markets. Like they'll do farmer's markets and stuff, but like we have like online stores where you can pay. I'll say Bitcoin here. Cause I know cryptocurrency is a banned term on this podcast. Yes, you can pay is. in Bitcoin and you can get whatever the hell you want. And these people are dumbfounded at how to use Bitcoin. They're dumbfounded at cryptography generally. 
And so it's just interesting to me that, and I'm not saying this is all of them, but this is the stark difference that I've seen is it seems like there's a group of people who are living the Konkin way, you know, creating beautiful recipes and not paying their taxes and doing all great stuff. And then people who are reading about Konkin. I think there's some people, there's a lot of people out there that they just like the aesthetic of it. They like, can you imagine like, liking that guy's aesthetic? <laughs> I don't know, but it's, it's, well, anytime like, well, it's funny because I, I rip on people for thinking that growing a vegetable garden is going to like defeat the state. And they get all mad, hot, and you know, bothered and cranky about it. And they're like, oh, "Why do you hate gardens?" It's like, dude, I probably have a bigger garden than you. <laughs> but it's a hobby. I love gardens. Yeah, yeah I love it. It's it's like one of my favorite <laughs> hobbies. It's if you if you sit down with me and have a conversation with me, I'm probably going to start talking about my garden now. I've got four fruit trees in my kitchen right now that I need to go plant out in the backyard. Uh -huh. Um. And, you know, I've got, oh, dude, I'm going to uh, Sam Marzano's this year, finally. Oh, very nice. So, yes. Are those a, 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 a New Jersey variety? Can you get those from New Jersey? I know that New Jersey grows incredible tomatoes. Is yeah, New Jersey's good I for know. tomatoes. I mean, they're, they're, um. Are, did, I'm saying, did you get those <laughs> seeds from Italy? Where'd you get the seeds from? Then? No, I, I. What makes them Sam Marzano's? It's just the species, um, but uh, oh. yeah, I just bought like a, I bought them online actually, but then when I was telling my dad about it, he has a friend that lives in Colorado who is real big into gardening, and he does have San heirloom Sarmazanos from his oh. grandparents or something from Italy, so my dad's wow. like, yeah, uh, if I can get him to send some seeds, do you want Ooh, some yeah. seeds? I'm like, yes, I will, take, I will take, I will take yeah, that would be that would be wow. fantastic. I would. Well, love there you that. go. Now you just now we're talking about gardening. So I think you I think you unintentionally sufficiently demonstrated you do have an interest in gardening. <laughs> yeah. You just don't view it as a political strategy against the state. And buddy, I don't think there's any political strategy against the state. I think you can just move away from it. So I'm with you. Like I don't. I'm, yeah, I, I'm fine. Even before, because I think, and I'm, I've been hammering this point, and that's when we had uh, Scott Horton on last last week to really hammer, like, hey, if you're a libertarian, you you need to incorporate Bitcoin. And I do think yeah. that Bitcoin is by far the best tool we have at fighting against the state or, or doing whatever. Really, it's just creating yeah. a different structure that makes the state obsolete. But even before I started to really fully understand, no, not fully understand Bitcoin, but uh, to appreciate uh, the role that Bitcoin plays, like I still have the same view. Like we have to, it was we have to use technology. We have to use the markets to, because uh, markets are always more powerful than the state. Uh, you know, uh, uh, capitalism, free markets, whatever you want to call it, uh, will always outstrip central planning. Clean capitalism. Yes, clean, clean cap capitalism. You wanna, whatever you want to. That's yes. the new term that'll start going around. Clean. And I'm fine with. Yes, you, you, you. I guarantee. We'll be seeing that all over the timeline, and it's fine. Yeah. Whatever, whatever term we can use to 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 uh, to express what that is, because it's so frustrating to me that you know. Well, actually, capitalism is uh, all right. How about we use mis uh, if we're calling ourselves libertarians and Austrians? Then how about we use Mises terms instead of Marxist terms? But yeah. yeah, I'm fine. I'll, I'll use I'll use Hoppy and yes. I'll use Hoppus terms and call it. Uh, that was my biggest, really, probably one of my biggest. For getting into it, my one of my biggest dissatisfactions with Hoppa is that he's 
everybody wants to stick to that term that all that it does is get in the way of people. But anyway, before we get stuck on it, please. Yeah. Speaking of terms, I'm going to have to, uh, (laughs) and Marxist, uh, I'm going to be reading something that, uh, does cuts, cuts, cuts against the grain with, uh, the term Marxist. Um, Okay. And I'm going to be reading. It's uh, Mises referred to didn't use Marxism. He called it Marxian. Oh, Marxian. Yes, Uh which is funny. It's like, man, you didn't get the memo, did you? Or maybe he just (laughs) hated Marx so much that he's just like, you know what? I'm just going to make him like spin in his grave by not by just making up my own term for him. Since since you did that, says, hey, Marx, you did all that stuff. You just like rearranged terms and everything. And uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it to you with with your name, so yeah. Um, oh, by the way, since we had a uh, about a 16 minute long pre pre chat, this is Mc- speaking of uh, uh, or, or 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 calling back to my organization structure. Hello oh, and I welcome to that. episode 245 yeah. of the Rollo and Slappy Show. I'm Rollo McFlugel. Show notes page for this episode will be mcflugel.com slash 245. Slappy Jones uh, will probably not be joining us tonight. He is yeah. engulfed in many a thing and cannot tractor do it. All race. good things. Yeah, yeah, tractor race. Big tractor race today. Um, mm-hmm. All good things, though, so don't worry about him. He's only missed um, He's only missed episodes for, for good things, I think. Um, have, either, has, have you missed episodes? Yes, you have. No. Oh, wow. We have never not released an episode every single Monday since we started. We have a few bonuses in there, but we have always had an episode Monday night since week one. And it has always included me. There you go. That's more organized than us. (laughs) There's another point towards it. Consistency. I I can have that effect, by the way, on people. Uh, when I hop on. Yeah, remember that one time we had you on and, and I was just uh, I was just really angry. Something got messed up. I couldn't get the podcast stuff to work right. So by the time that we all finally got on, I was like blistering angry. Yeah, yeah. And I had yep. a topic I wanted you to talk about, but you kept just poking me and it just got me even more angry. <laughs> and so yes. it ended up being like a short episode of me just yes. screaming. <laughs> yes, I remember. I do. Yeah. Good times. Good times. Yes, good, good times. But uh yeah, um oh, I got I guess I should mention our our sponsor Liberty Mugs. You can buy Liberty awesome mugs. libertarian Bitcoin themed mugs. But yeah, uh you were just on uh Pete show Free Man Beyond the Wall uh doing part 5 of your philosophers series and this one you talked about the quote post-Marxist unquote Hans yeah. Hermann Hoppe. Yes, so, I did. Yeah, go. I, I'm sure if if you haven't listened to that, um, go ahead and listen to it. Um, but uh, yeah, I, wanna, I don't know if you want to give a, a, a recap. I don't want or you something. to sandbag me here, first of all, because it's part five of my Marxist series of my philosopher series with Pete oh, Rollo. Yeah. So don't undermine my contributions to the field. First of all, thank you very much. It's about 10 episodes in reality. Second of all, that's right. I I went on Pete's show to talk about Marxism from the perspective of half Marx and half one of the swords of Marxism, a term 
created by the final sword of Marxism, Abimael Guzman, used to describe Lenin, Stalin, Mao, and himself in order to talk about what we call tankies or left-wing authoritarian communists. Um, Because I thought it was interesting, and it's a group that we uh, often butt heads uh, against, but I I think many of us know little to nothing about the theory behind it because Marxism is is very much almost a mystical procedure despite as much as it wants to call itself science. Uh, And the fifth part of that series, I decided to cap off the last philosophy episode that I'm going to do with Pete probably for a long time uh, by doing a a thinker who many of us are already familiar with uh, for the purposes of kind of maybe revisiting some of the thoughts and where that thinker's thoughts came from. And we chose Hans Hermann Hoppe. And uh, we tried to get the marks out of Hoppe, which is good because Hoppe really gets most of the marks out of himself. He seems to be very open, uh, willing uh, to admit as well as really, I mean, willing to admit because he seems to agree that most of Marx's uh, concepts that come after alienation seem to be relatively solid concepts. Um, and I thought that that was very interesting. And so having done a Marxist philosopher series, we tackled that. And I feel like having received some emails about it, people got it and liked it. And people mm-hmm. could see the marks in Hoppe. And that was good for me. That was one of the things that I wanted to try and do. Not because I'm a Marxist. In fact, I think a lot of Marxism is really stupid. But uh, it is a one of the most prominent ways of thinking in the West. And so it's good that we figure out, even the people who we agree with, what they were able to pull uh, out of Marx, as well as some of the later thinkers from Marx, particularly Lenin, who somebody put me on to some writings that Rothbard had about Lenin. And so I'm going to have to check those out at some point. Um, but yeah, there's that's that was the whole purpose, Rollo. The, uh... Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the episode. Um there were some things I wanted to nitpick you on, though, and uh, also okay. one things I wanted to make sure I was I was clear on to to make sure that I'm not nitpicking some. So, do you actually think um, that Hoppe is not, not a Marxist, but like post-Marxist or, or no, like, no, obviously not. So right, right, right. So so neo-Marxist is one term we 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 use, and that would be used to describe those who still maintain a lot of Marxian theory. Um, most of the modern aspects of Marxian theory, like deriving logic from Kant, transcendental logic from Kant, um, a lot of inside baseball stuff. That's neo-Marxism. That's obviously not Hoppe. Then there's Mm. post-Marxism. The main thinker of post-Marxism, there there would be two of them. Uh, The autonomous Antonio Negri, you can look him up. He's probably the major inspirational figure behind the Chaz movement, you know, um, all of the autonomous zone movements. He happens to be one of the major theorists behind that. And then you have the other side of post-Marxism, which would be a guy called Ernesto Laclau um, and his wife, Chantelle Mouffet. They're also post-Marxists because they're post-modernists who try to retool Marxism for a post-modern uh, audience and post-modern politics. Uh, obviously, Hoppe's not that either. Right, For right, me, right. post-Marxist, I'm using precisely, I think, because it's funny and because people hear it and all they really hear is Marxist. They don't really hear the post part anyway. 
And obviously he's not just a straight up Marxist. Post-Marxist just meant kind of as the joke was, it's very interesting to see how much Hoppe pulls from Marx. So he's post-Marx in that without Marx, Hoppe is not the same as he is today. It's not at all meant to be a philosophical take on it. So yeah, Um, I I wanted that to be unclear, but I I didn't actually (laughs) think people were going to go, do they think Hoppe's a actually marxist like a leftist no no, no. yeah i didn't think no. he was actually, but but it was like because you you said something like oh Mar- I, you know hop says that you know uh marx got a lot of this stuff right but was just had a different had it was wrong with a starting point yes um right. which so uh um what was i gonna say Oh, um, yeah, I read there's a couple of years ago. I just I picked up a couple. I, I picked up the Communist Manifesto and uh, was it wa- Wage, Labor and Capital? That other uh-huh. pamphlet that he wrote just to be like, all right, yep. you know what? I say that Marxism is is bad and, and awful. So let me actually like read some of this stuff. And so I was reading uh, Wage, Labor and Capital and uh, or Wage Theory and Capital. I forget what it's called, whatever it is, but. I was like shocked in for the first half of it being like, he's describing like how wages work and how prices work and how capital is accumulated like rather well. And like, there's not much I really disagree with him on. Now I didn't have, I wasn't as well formed in Austrian economics as I, as I am now that I would probably be like, ah, well he's, you know, this, this is a little bit wrong, but like generally speaking, it was good. It was fine. You can't have, by the way, and you, I, I'm maybe this is too bold of a statement, but you really can't have Austrian economics as it is today without Marx. Um, so much of Austrian theory is built by responding to Marx and dispelling from Marx. Not, not it seems not just in the negative sense, but when you even say there are theories that are built to counter Marxism within Austrian theory. Well. Perhaps, but we're going to kind of get into that. Okay. Um, and, and so I was reading this, and I was like, I was really shocked. I'm like, all right, how is he like describing this? And then out of nowhere, he starts talking about the proletariat. And I remember talking to a friend of mine and saying, like, I'm reading this, and it, like, he was, I was agreeing with him. I was shocked. He was right. And then all of a sudden, he just cuts the wheel, inexplicably, cuts the wheel. Mm-hmm. And then it goes off on his, on his typical Marxist stuff. And for years, I could never, like, figure out what happened there. And it's like, how can you mm-hmm. go from, from this path and all of a sudden just completely different and totally contradicted, just ignore, not even, like, debunk anything that he said before? It was just like, all right, this is what we as proletariat think, and this is the way it is. It wasn't until... Now I'm I'm about 130 pages into human action, so therefore I'm a uh, Ludwig von Mises scholar. That's farther than anyone other than Bob Murphy has actually gotten <laughs> into that book. So no, I will say um, it is like you know I'm only a what is it like a, an eighth of the way through or something, but it is an absolute treasure trove. Like you have oh, yeah. to you have like that should be a goal in life. Anyone who's involved in libertarianism, Austrian economics, like it should be a goal in your life to sit down and, and read human action. Um, it is just absolutely jam packed with gems. And I'm, and, and I'm just, I'm talking about like right from the beginning, 
since he starts from the most basic of first principles, the, the, the clarity that you get from someone just starting from that basic square one is just so enlightening and satisfying. I think a lot of us as libertarians that we kind of understand a lot of the libertarian principles, you know, and the government bad, free market good. And so we kind of think like, oh, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't need to like go through those basic things. But no, it is it is it is really no, you really useful. Do. You yeah. definitely do. I, I the most enlightening things I've ever read have been things I thought I didn't need to read. Just yeah. the language, like uh, I, I, man, I'm trying to think of something. One one thing in particular, but at this point I can't. Just for the sake of argument, there's been times where I really thought I understood a theory or an approach, and then you actually read, you know. So the Bitcoin white paper was big for this. I always thought I understood what the mechanism was supposed to be, what the purpose was supposed to be. It was supposed to be money. And I, so mm -hmm. I never read the white paper, right? Because everyone's going, yeah, it's money. You give it to other people, they give you stuff. I don't know, it's fine. I understand. But I never understood what money actually was. And in yep. that white paper, you get a, you get a going backwards sense of what money is. Cause there's no mm -hmm. explicit definition as far as I can remember, but the talking around what he, money is going to become helps you understand what it used to be. And it was super useful to just go back to a basic document that really any person involved, anybody listening to this podcast, just read the white paper as, as about many other things, but it, uh, so yeah, go back and read the things you think you didn't need to all those really basic texts. Everybody has already said they've read, most of them are doing exactly what you're doing, which is saying you read it because you actually don't want to go back and read it because you think it's going to be boring because you already think you know most of the things in there. And I assure you, I'm talking to myself here mostly, but I know other people are listening and going, I do do that. I do do that. Yeah. You have to, you really got to go back and read the very basic stuff. And, and it's recognition that we're standing on the so, uh, shoulders of giants. Like, oh yeah. All, all it these makes things a lot easier to think about when you realize everybody yeah. else has already thought about most of the steps along the way. And, and that's why it bugs me. And I kind of fell onto this a little bit earlier on in my libertarian career. It's like, well, Mises was technically still a status. So, you know, all, well, it's like, all right, all right. Or just like, you know, Rothbard uh, in one of his 100 billion things that he wrote, he said something a little bit weird that, you know, he was just like trying to work through con being consistent. Right. And and he said something like kind of weird and people go, oh, 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 Rothbard's such an idiot because now I can debunk whatever he said here. Ah, ha, ha. Oh, people yeah. are so weird. Yeah, so <laughs> arrogant really and cocky. Weird. Why do people like, expect consistency from a guy who wrote as much as Rothbard. Aren't, aren't you a thinking human being who can put the consistent parts together yourself? <laughs> like, right. like why? It's so weird what people demand of other thinkers that they could simply do themselves, which they would do if they knew the guy personally, but they won't do because they don't. It's very well, funny. It, That's it, it, part of the reason like, why I did the philosophy series. This is exactly what you're describing is part of the reason why I did the whole series. Because everybody from postmodernists to neo-fascists to Marxists, nobody's read. And everybody thinks they have a general sense of what's going to be said by a person who has read those things. But evidently, from all the emails that I've gotten, from all the DMs that I've gotten, the appreciation has been, I would never have touched any of these things. Thank you for explaining these yeah. so that now I actually know where I was going wrong or right when I was talking to these groups. It's just funny how people uh, would prefer to pretend, 
they play pretend in their own head and kind of argue with themselves. Oh, that's a Marxist. Oh, that means he wants to put me in a gulag. And then you kind of just walk away satisfied with yourself. And the Marxist is going, oh, capitalist, he's going to put me in a private prison. And then they walk away and nodding their head satisfied with themselves. And nobody's learned anything. And everybody's dumb. That's the problem. Is it, it's, not you, it's not only that you haven't learned anything, you are being very dumb. You're dumbing yourself down by kind of just nodding your head and walking away. It's, it's just weird. Right. It's a weird tendency. And it, and it doesn't mean you have to accept anything that they say. You can you can read no. it and still go, oh, wow, this guy's an idiot. You will. Most, I think a lot of people don't <laughs> yeah. approach texts for that reason. Is they, uh, what would you call it, like voodoo or uh, are they a hex? Like they almost believe that uh, if you start to agree with some of the little things you see, you're under attack. You know, you're psychologically mm-hmm. under attack and your whole worldview will start to crumble down. I think a lot of people really believe that. What you end up finding is, oh, that's interesting. I'll incorporate that into my worldview. Like it's the opposite of what people think is going to happen. You end up just globbing things in. Yeah, or at least, or just even if you don't agree with it, just have good reasons to not agree, or have good reasons. Really? Yeah, you have to. You have to know at least what you're disagreeing with. Yeah, or it's like uh, you know, Bitcoin to tie that back in again. It's just every time I hear someone say, "Oh, Bitcoin's not going to work because of blah blah blah." And you're like, okay, you just don't even understand the yeah, you didn't remote read about basics. It. <laughs> it's just like when so- when someone says, "Oh, you're a libertarian. Who? Who's going to build the roads?" Uh-huh. You just like right. you're. It's like Come you're on. an idiot, and you're not worth talking to. Yeah, it's a shame. It's just a shame because it's like there's some really. That's ex- actually there's the tendency is because if someone said, "Well, who's going to build the roads?" Like to me, I'd go, man, let me tell you about all the things that we could actually get done if there weren't all the <laughs> all of the state's issues in the way, including licensing and having to build mm-hmm. it and all the precautions and OSHA and all the nonsense that you have to go through when you're trying to build things. Um, it, it's, it's just better to me seemingly to go, oh, let me please explain to you how a private system would work better here. But most people don't actually want to hear that. That's again, with the point with the, the, the podcasts with Pete was like mostly people would go i don't want to hear it but because it's coming out of my mouth they go you know what birds talking about this let me listen and again half halfway through most of the people are going i didn't know that okay that's interesting i can understand i had people who are coming to me afterwards going you know what i kind of agree with the dialectic like a lot of the aspects of the dialectic it's like dude to agree with the dialectic you have to have an entire shift in the way that you think about social behavior generally (laughs) so it's like for you to have listen to me say that and you're now convinced oh man maybe social processes work this way how much how long ago would that have how long have you been waiting for that important revelation in your personal life like a long time maybe you should have just read about it you know what i mean i can't advocate that enough is you could change your own life so quickly if you just read people you don't like Mm -hmm. well you know what's funny too um Back a while ago, when you first started doing this stuff, and you're talking about Deleuze, yeah. and like deep in the recesses of my mind, there was like a little like vibration, and I'm like, that something reminds me that name looks or sounds. I think I saw it written down, like before uh, when you started bringing up Deleuze, I was like, I never heard of this guy. Uh-huh, like, yeah, okay, whatever. I'll listen to it because, like, like you said, birds talking about, so I'll listen. And I think I saw it written down. I'm like that. I can picture that. And it was years ago in an interview that Cody Wilson gave. He mentioned a book called Nomadology. Yeah, Nomadology. Oh, yeah. 
And because he mentioned it and said it was like a cool little thing, I bought it and read it. And that's when I was like, holy cow. It was, yeah. And I was like, oh, I I have read the laws. And he co-authored it with some other dude. And I remember. Nomadology was co-written by uh, Gautari, the other guy who wrote most of the big weird postmodern shit with him where you can barely read it and it doesn't make sense. He wrote most of that with him. But nomadology makes sense. Oh, well, it didn't make sense to me because I was just kind of like, oh had no God. idea what I was getting into. No, I'm but doing an were. episode with my friend Hunter on nomadology, by the way, for oh, people really? listening and you. So I, yeah, we are explaining nomadology because it oh, is, nice. to me, it's political theory. It's Deleuze's political theory. It's good to have it. Well, there were some, like, I, I, I remember, Lar- it's one of those things where you read it and if you're like paying attention and reading it slowly, you're like, all right, all right, I can kind of, but then. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. the next chapter, you're like, what did you, what was the last chapter about? You're like, yep. I, I <laughs> you got to go back and start over. But there were some yeah. parts where, and I still remember now, like the idea that like the nomads were considered these people who were kind of primitive. Um, yeah. But maybe, maybe like they had a point in moving around. So they didn't like create these roots that were, would allow society to create these structures of government that would kind of entrap them. So right. it's like kind of a, a an interesting way. I, I'm not sure I agree with that because um, I think it's it might be. And, and I'm saying this is, you know, I read this book, I don't know, five years ago, five, six, seven years ago. Uh, so it's really cloudy with what it was. But it was at least got me thinking. I'm like, oh, that's pretty interesting. I never thought of it mm-hmm. that way. And just the idea of how, you know, you can kind of as you're kind of moving through the world and moving across time and space, I guess you're just like kind of picking up tools and using them along the way yes. to do whatever you got to do. Yeah. So, so it was, you know, it was worth listening or worth reading. And, 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 you know, I didn't understand a lot of it, but, but I was able to pick up some little stuff that, that it had an impact. So it was, you know, it was nice. And it was something different. Um, I bet you, if you <laughs> go, least. I bet you, if you go back to that now, knowing me and having spoken to me a bunch, you'd probably would be like, okay, that makes sense. I get, yeah. you've just heard me probably talk around a lot of the concepts in that. Mm-hmm. Cause it is a very strange, but yeah, it's a great text. And so you, so there you go. So you've, although I would not call Deleuze a postmodernist in reality, I only would call him that if you're referring to the time period and the fact that he was French, but he very different from the guys who you'd call postmodernists like Jean-Paul Sartre, Michel Foucault, not different thinker almost entirely. Got along with them, different thing almost entirely. Point being, you've read some postmodern literature then, which is very good. Um, yes. Because I think Mises, though I don't think Mises is a postmodernist in any sense, uh, subjectivist theory, which I did a little joke tweet about earlier because to prep for this, I was reading about Bomba work. Um, subjectivist theory is uh, right at the brink of being, okay, so let's, let me do one of the little brief uh, tours through. We take Deleuze, a thinker from the 60s, 70s, France, uh, who is classed among the postmodernists, radical skeptic, blah, blah, blah. The guy's first book that was published was a study of David Hume, who's a Scottish thinker from the Enlightenment era. Actually, I believe 1776 is when he published his major work. I know Adam Smith published Wealth of Nations in the same, roughly around the same time. Two same guys, two Scottish guys. David Hume is hugely inspirational to Adam Smith. Obviously, the two of them are close friends. David Hume is the philosophical side. Adam Smith is the economic side or the mechanical side. 
Adam Smith, because of his friendship with David Hume, who was a skeptic and an empiricist who demanded that the only things that you could consider real had to be proven empirically. That means tested and retestable. It is from that, although the radical skepticism, including where you might derive value from, is clearly a non-empirical rather than what Marx would suggest, which is it is material, material and empirical. You get Adam Smith who says, well, values derive subjectively. Okay, makes sense. Well, where, have we heard, where do we hear that cropping back up? Only after Marx does Bambaver take that whole thing back up and say, let us look to deriving value from the subjective again. Let's try that. He likes it. It works just fine. The interesting connection, if you heard it there, was this guy Deleuze from the 70s in France. I don't know when Eugen Bambaverk was from. <laughs> 1890s, maybe, Germany. The two of them are connected at one very interesting point all the way back to David Hume, which is in Radical Skepticism, which just that one little connection alone sets you apart from Marxism, which denies skepticism, which is materialistic, which, which would basically be a complete opposite in terms of how you derive value, the two of these theories, objectivist and subjectivist, we call the objectivist the Marxist side. It's just interesting that, okay, so that's one little thread where Deleuze and Austrians have some coalescence where they can come together and they can make sense of a particular point. And I don't mm -hmm. think that that's been hammered on enough. I think um, the best way to show people the best way to show people that all these thinkers that they avoid, at least with postmodernists, would be actually there's thinkers who both postmodernists and Austrians were, were deriving things from. And so really they have a common ancestor that isn't as far back as you think, only the 1700s. I mean, there are people who are using theories from Thomas Aquinas, the 1100s maybe, 1200s. There are people who go back even further than that. So point being... I think you can find a lot of more commonality in different theories, very different theories than people would think. And so that it seems to me to be very valuable that you should be, like you said, Rollo, kind of doing your travels and going and picking tools up along the way. I don't see what the negative yeah. could be about it. Right, right. Well, I mean, I, I'll kind of maybe tie a bow on that by saying um, I do believe that there is some objective truth out there. And so it does make sense that different philosophies in search of that concept, because that's, that's basically what philosophy is trying to do, that's um, right. try to find truth. So mm -hmm. it would make sense that they're going to like different ones are going to pick up different crumbs, uh, maybe by diversion a little bit, but, but, you know, along the same thing. So it would make sense that there's going to be some agreement in, in certain places. Um, right. I think we should hammer on that. I think it's more yeah. useful. Um, it seems like the uh, previous, the other way to do it is uh, argue until the um, the crumbs that are remaining, you know, you can sweep up and uh, maybe you have something. Doesn't that sound kind of stupid? Maybe, <laughs> maybe we should all just take the delicious parts out of the cookie and leave all the crap to crumble away, and we can all appreciate the delicious parts. I, I feel well, like that I is a better approach. Yeah, and it's one of those things too. It's like, all right. We're sweeping around crumbs, and people might say, "Oh, you're just sweeping up crumbs." Well, it's like, well, maybe we have a crumb <laughs> that, yeah, like, we're, we, we don't have we don't have a whole loaf of bread or a whole cookie. Yeah, like we need those crumbs because that's just we're just still trying to connect the dots. 
Um, the little chocolate chips. That's what I want yeah. people to do. But, Go for the but, chocolate chips. But if we're trying to assemble a cookie, um, we do need to figure out when someone wants to uh, put in dog poop. And we say, hey, look, dog poop does not belong in cookies. And I we just agree with that. The, well, that's that why I'm not a re- I'm not a relativist, and I think right. that um, that's a big issue that uh, Foucault, who's far more classifiable as a relativist, Derrida, who's somewhat classifiable as a relativist, Deleuze is not. He would be a perspectivist. Look that one up. Very interesting theory. Um, I think that there's some theories that are invalid mm-hmm. b- by being unapproachable or apatternistic or constructed they don't arise from emergent order and they don't make sense in a logical way i i agree with this and that that's and 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 that leads us to marx because i do uh just reject marxism on its most basic uh level from mises alienation yeah uh, well what do you mean so that's why i ask because you say basic level there's a few like uh, when you say, because you have to, all right, so you say, I reject Marxism, right? Well, I mm-hmm. got to know w- from what angle, because we all know what Marxism is. Normally, you'd be yes. tempted to go, what do you mean by Marxism? We all know what right. it is. I'm just curious what you mean by, like, the what angle po- do you reject it from? His polylogism. Okay, explain that. So that's what I'm going to do right now. And I'm going to yes, let uh, Ludwig von Mises do it because he's much better than me. So this is from chapter three. Uh, economics and the revolt against reason, section one, the revolt against reason from human action. So I'm going to take this kind of in the middle of this, of this part, but I don't want to have to read the two pages beforehand just so we can get to the, uh, because I think, I think Mises uh, in like three or four paragraphs, just absolutely uh, disembowels Marxism. Uh, before Marx even taxis to the runway. So, here we go. Uh, The Great Upheaval was born out of the historical situation existing in the middle of the 19th century. The economists had entirely demolished the fantastic delusions of the socialist utopians. The deficiencies of the classical system prevented them from comprehending why every socialist plan must be unrealizable. But they knew enough to demonstrate the futility of all socialist schemes produced up to their time. The communist ideas were done for. The socialists were absolutely unable to raise any objection to the devastating criticism of their schemes and to advance any argument in their favor. It seemed as if socialism was dead forever. Only one way could lead the socialists out of this impasse. They could attack logic and reason and substitute mystical intuition for ratiocination. I don't know if I said that right. Whatever. Uh, it, it was the, it was the historical role of Karl Marx to propose this solution. Based on Hegel's dialectic mysticism, he blithely arrogated to himself the ability to predict the future. Hegel pretended to know yep. that Geist, in creating the universe, wanted to bring about the Prussian monarchy of Frederick William III. Yeah. But Marx was better informed about Geist's plan. He knew that the final cause of historical evolution was the establishment of the socialist millennium. Socialism is bound to come, quote, with the inexorability of a law of nature, end quote, and is according to Hegel 
Every later stage of history is a higher and better stage. There cannot be any doubt that socialism, the final and ultimate stage of mankind's evolution, will be perfect from any point of view. It is consequently useless to discuss the details of the operation of a socialist commonwealth. Mm -hmm. History, in due time, will arrange everything for the best. It does not need the advice of mortal men. So this is uh, all right. I'm out of the out of reading and and well, you you guys have already got to know why I think that's nonsense, of course. But yeah, it's go ahead. But but yeah yeah yeah. I mean I think that's that's yeah. You can't predict the future, but but this is where that's literally was my problem. I think I said that in Pete's episode is the problem that the postmodernists run up against with Marxism is so you guys just think you can predict the future. Basically, you're just crazy people. That's 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 essentially what you lead to. Yeah, but there's something even more devastating. Okay. So here we go. There was still the main obstacle to overcome, the devastating criticism of the economist. Marx had a solution at hand. Human reason, he asserted, is constitutionally unfitted to find truth. Hmm. The logical structure of the mind is different with various social classes. There is no such thing as a universally valid logic. What Mm -hmm. mind produces can never be anything but ideology, that is, in the Mm -hmm. Marxian terminology, a set of ideas disguising the selfish interests of the thinker's own social class. Hence, Mm -hmm. the bourgeois mind of the economist is utterly incapable of producing more than an apology for capitalism. Uh The teachings of the bourgeois science, an offshoot of bourgeois logic, are of no avail for the proletarians. The rising class destined to abolish all classes and to convert the earth into a garden of Eden. But of course, the logic of the proletarians is not merely a class logic. The ideas of proletarian logic are not party ideas, but emancip- emanations of pure logic. Uh, sorry. Let me, uh, let me restart that paragraph because I butchered it up so much. But of course, the logic of the proletarians is not merely a class logic. Quote, the ideas of proletarian logic are not party ideas, but emanations of logic pure and simple, end quote. Mm-hmm. Moreover, mm-hmm. by virtue of a special privilege, the logic of certain elect bourgeois is not tainted with the original sin of being bourgeois. Karl Marx, the son of a well-to-do lawyer, married to the daughter of a Prussian junker, and his collaborator, Frederick Engels, a wealthy textile manufacturer, never doubted that they themselves were above the law and notwithstanding their bourgeois background, were endowed with the power to discover the absolute truth. Mm. So. Uh, interesting. Very interesting. So uh, the first and, part and, and, I'm more persuaded by than the second part. So he goes into um, later on in through the rest of the chapter about uh, polylogism or polylogism mm-hmm. and about yeah. this idea. And that's where when when I said when I was reading why I didn't understand when I read Marx that when he was talking about capitalism and the bourgeois perspective, I'm like, he's right. And then all of a sudden he cuts the wheel and he starts off the proletariat thing and never addresses the, all the stuff about how wages are actually formed and, and, and the, the, the bourgeois perspective and just starts talking right. about the proletariat stuff because mm-hmm. his claim is that, um, class separates Mm -hmm. is like a separation of how logic is performed yes and he's saying that 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 is true what is what the bourgeois think is true for them and their logic is valid 
But it's also mm-hmm. true that the proletariat have their own logic, and that is true for them. Yeah. And that sure. right there is just utter nonsense. Um, is Okay, I don't agree it has with to utter be, nonsense. Be, well, it has I, to. I mean, it's, it's like logic. It, it means like humans reason. It's like saying sure. that one plus one is two. And, and, it, and it may, that's this actually, this idea made sense of all this stuff you're seeing from, from these, like the blue checks that are, you know, kind of Marxist, whatever you want to call them, how they're trying to say like, well, actually one plus one isn't actually two. Mm. Uh, in, in certain ways, you know, if you understand how right. different people have different things and then they, they could say one plus one is, no, it's like the sure. logic of addition is such that one plus one is two. There is there is no way. It's just like saying blue is blue. You know, blue can't be green. And and you you touched on this in in your episode uh, with Pete how it's like something um, something green cannot also be yellow. Yeah, that was one of Hoppe's. Yeah. Points. And so and this course, is where so all so, right. so, so when me, Hoppe was going through it and 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 critiquing Marx. I yeah. think he was doing it just straight from me, not straight from Mises, but he was like heavily influenced by Mises. And, and that's why, you know, Marx is a historian. Marx, like looking at at stuff and saying, like, oh, these things happen. We could say, yeah, that's that. Like he's he's recounting historical facts. His uh, his analysis of it is garbage and is totally mm-hmm. unreliable. It would be like saying um, someone can observe you eating a meal. And he can be reliable to report and say, hey, I saw a bird eating dinner. And so that's that's reliable. But uh-huh. if he thinks that a peanut butter and jelly sandwich is a cut of steak, then his analysis of what you're eating is garbage and totally unreliable. And you can't – you can't – he like whatever he says, whatever he says you're eating, and he's like, oh, what was bird eating? I was eating – he was eating a pork chop. And when he says that, you have no idea what he actually means because his logic, uh, 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 his way of arriving at what a pork chop is, is just something totally different. This is like Rollo stumbles on post-structuralism backwards. <laughs> Rollo, Rollo starts yeah. to realize that words and symbols don't necessarily always mean the things that they say they mean. <laughs> well, no, and that's that's why there's an attack. Like even Mises was saying they're trying to attack logic and reason, and that's why you have people trying to attack language and change it now because I think they're trying. Like I think that this this idea that there's different classes have different ways of doing logic. I think that that's what the Marxists of today are trying to do. That they, they understand this thing that like the proletariat and the bourgeois see things differently. And since humans naturally all coalesce to one communication protocol language or not one, but like they standardize no, the way they communicate. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah sure. It's language. One. Yeah. No, you so, should. Cause language is really all we have. <laughs> right. So we have to all coalesce onto that one thing so we can all communicate and make sense of things. So they're shoehorning um, trying to make people use language differently just to drive a wedge through people so they can say, hey, look, these people, you know, we don't talk about there's there's different. They just they just come up with different things, like even like a man is a man is not a man anymore. It can mean whatever it is. And so when they they're able to like kind of drill this bad information into people's heads and they can go, hey, look, these people, these fuddy duddy 
you know, conservative, whatever you want to call them. See, they don't even, they can't even understand what we're talking about. They're useless. We got, you know, we got to, they can't be involved with, with what we're trying to do and they're just going to get in the way and they can't even understand it. So you're trying to jump in there like 15 times and I just railroaded you. I but. know. You totally steamrolled me. I had like 10 different things. I did. Moosed you. Man, you totally, you totally did. But he does go in. Uh, he does go into to, uh, explaining uh, into more detail about what's wrong with polylogism and actually uh, uses uses the example of racism. Um, yeah. Because right. it's, it's, it's kind of the same idea that it's basically the same structure that Marx uses. That, that a racist yeah. would use to say, well, black people just are incapable of, and it doesn't matter, they're black, and so therefore they're just, you can't do anything about well, it. You, and you, I, well, and you see this today in any manifestation of universal communism. Mm-hmm. Communism in one country, you can say, a group will go, we could do communism here, you don't have to do communism over there. Uh, but there's also the strain that says, well, we can't have a stitch of capitalism, because capitalism right. will always try to come back and fight back. Is that is mm-hmm. that what the real purpose of the gulag is for? Is that it's not that they like necessarily hate you. It's just like you just are totally useless and you're just going to muck things up for us. Nothing personal, but we just need to separate you from everybody else. Well, that's what's funny is the gulags were created long before the Leninists took over. Mm-hmm. And that was exactly what their purpose was, was the right. monarchy. If you were causing trouble, the monarchy wouldn't hurt you. They would just ship you away to Siberia where you lived in a town with a bunch of other shipaways. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It wasn't uh, like a prison colony. It was more like a prison colony than a prison. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That, that well, probably imagine- is the reasoning behind why that theory developed in that way because they already had the environment where most of the guys who came up with it had been to Gulag. And so mm-hmm. they perhaps realized you don't really need to kill or expensively jail everybody who disagrees with you. You could just isolate them in one place and they'll do their own thing and you can get on with it. Yeah. Imagine if you had just like random people were born with, I was talking about this if, if, when we had a uh, Agora brewing on a few episodes, I was, I was kind of talking about this stuff with Marx briefly. And I kind of, I used a, a similar example of this, but just imagine if you had like people were randomly born with um, thinking that forks were used to stab the other person in the eye. They didn't uh-huh. mean anything by it. It's just they saw a fork and they picked it up and just stabbed you in the eye with it because that's what forks were them. That's what forks were for them. Uh-huh. And it, that would just cause chaos. And so you would have to just be like, sorry, dude, but you just can't live in our society. We've got to move you someplace else. Sure. Like that's kind of what it what it is. But like it's it's silly because we can teach people how to use, you know. Well, I think it's silly Someone because um, Marxism is impractical and centralization of any economy is impractical. And that's ultimately mm-hmm. why I think Marxism, well, I think Marxism is impractical on t- in two ways, and it's not this is a big revelation, but it's impractical in two ways, the economic sense. It cannot provide what a free market can provide for as many people. People can still choose a Soviet-style system if they want. I actually welcome them to. It seems like many post-Soviet people outside of Russia and the Ukraine seem to really fawn over the Soviet Union like they missed it. So I welcome you. Go ahead. Try that. Um, The second to me, and this is where I'm more concerned because I don't know anything about economics. I'm pretty sure it's fake. The philosophy of it is where I run up against the most issues with it because of precisely what you were getting at, not polylogism, which 
I'm going to put my neck out here and say, I probably, I'm not sold on that, that concept to begin with, that, um, that it's, there's something wrong with the idea that different groups reason differently. Well, my problem with it would be Marx has decided who the groups are. And to me, the only way you can get groups that think in certain ways is emergently. They have to show up on their own. They have to come together as a union of people. That's the only way you could have something like that. But Marx says proletariat (laughs) exists. Now, we both know that in... Anywhere outside of Western Europe, probably around that time, certainly Russia, up until Marx went to Russia and realized that the first half of his theory made no sense. Proletariat was a class that existed in one particular area at one particular time. It doesn't have to exist. In many countries, they skipped that class as it was. Neo-Marxists abandoned this whole formula and had to reformulate it, incorporating power dynamics into it. So it's, it's nonsense to me because it's from the 1800s. It's totally out of place and time. That's why for me, I, I don't have an issue with the idea that different groups reason differently because if you consider, well, Rollo, you and I reason in two very different ways just to begin with. Well, we can spar. Well, hold on, hold on. No, hold yeah, on. Yeah. We can spar over who is correct or incorrect, but it probably would be more useful to spar over what the terms are about what we're actually trying to agree on in the first place. Um, And that I think is more of an issue is that there's no metalogical boundaries for things like this. I think you can have a group. I am starving. And so I will kill to eat. Where's the ethics there. They don't have a universal ethic in that sense. What about you? You go, okay, I'm not starving. I will pay for this thing. That is your ethics. You've decided that. You can say the person who killed because they were starving is still wrong to have done so and wronger to have stolen something. It wasn't theirs. But I I think we get caught up in that part when we probably could go all the way back and go, what are the actual rules in the first place? How do we set up a new ethic that does perhaps universally make sense? And Marxism doesn't do that by Marx's own admission. Marx's own admission is the proletariat has to take hold, hold on to the reins of power and keep it that way until the state withers away. In fact, in some instances of Marx's logic later on in his own life while he was alive and when Mao adopts it, they go further to that and say, actually, the state isn't going to wither away until after communism is instituted. So even within Marxism, the logical train completely breaks down so to me that's the issue is that particular logical system doesn't make any sense whether or not different groups as they can emergently come about or be classified reason in different ways is it to me doesn't seem to be the issue here yeah so just to back it up a little bit when i say reason um i mean in like the very uh praxeological rational man kind of kind of sense um, like the you, human but even, mind, but even formal logic has aspects of, of it that are, I forget what the term is, but even formal logic has certain areas about it that it simply cannot reason. I have to look up what the term is. I was just looking into this cause I knew we were going to talk about it. 
Um, keep going. I, I got to look into it. There's a term. But even even just it. simple, uh, like the most simple, a simple praxeological idea that man acts in his own self-interest. Um, yeah, but that's not really logic. It's 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 not falsifiable. It's just a behavior. I that you know what I mean. I think we think of logic very differently then. I, it's not a you don't reason it out. Humans act because to act is to be human. Is there a, I know somebody is going to be upset about this. Is that, that's not a tautology, but can you explain why? What? Uh, Humans act because to act is to make purposeful decisions. It, it just seems like it, you're saying the same thing. Acting purposeful decisions is to be human. To be human is to make purposeful decisions. To act is to make yeah. purposeful. It's all, it's all a cyclical and I don't know if that's wrong, but does, do you, do you see that? Yeah, I mean, because I think that's just kind of the 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 s. Uh, that's basic the the axiom. So I mean, that's like that is a true statement. That's that, that's like the basic a priori statement is to say that man acts rationally. And so, what is a rational actor? It is a man. It's a what's that commutative? that proper yeah. so it's yes. so it's it's just a definition of what man is basically yeah it seems to be yeah that was always um i don't know we could probably get into praxeology another time i'd love to talk to Which, you about praxeology yeah never uh, really i think sold on it oh i think it's fascinating and that's why i think you should it, read it's definitely action. fascinating or at least the first um, couple chapters where he, where he talks about praxeology and, and it's uh -huh. it's just it, it, it kind of it seems maybe a little bit silly where it's just uh -huh. like, well, why would why would someone commit? Oh, man, Max, rational in his own self interest, and why would why do some people commit suicide? It's like, well, that's because that person in his state of mind believes that that is the best outcome for him. Yeah, um, that person would be is doing, and Hoppe picks that up. Is that person is making the classic mistake of assuming that to act rationally is to act in your own best health interests or right, right. in your own, which is absolutely not the case. It's the, I, from what I understand, praxeology is simply the statement that when a, it's, a, it seems to be a, a vitalistic statement, first of all, meaning it's something that one entity does that no other entity is capable of doing human act. That's what happens. Rational animal, I think is, is what we're called. That mm -hmm. I understand. Human being acts because there's a, they, they have a goal in mind. No human yes. being. And then I think there's some sort of like, well, and then sometimes when people act unconsciously or things like that, this is obviously not acting. This is reacting or something like that. So he, he, he moves. He like keeps. It's just a, such a strange. I have to read human action. I will do you that one day, Rollo, because yeah. it's <laughs> such a strange thing it's weird to say to humans you... act yeah it's like oh. yeah but so do many other things by many definitions act my dog speaks to me my dog barks at me and says feed me there's a sound he makes that gets a response to give me food that's language and so that in to me seem when you apply language i can't think of acting more than using language and so yeah. it doesn't seem to be exclusively a biologically human trait to begin with well i i don't think your dog can put together a chain of actions that are indirectly going to achieve some goal really because my dog barks i feed him 
like a machine. No, 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 like like start chaining those actions because he's like, well, I'm gonna bark and he's gonna feed mm-hmm. me so I can be strong and so I can go on a nice walk with him and and be pleasant. I don't, so he- but I don't, I don't think praxeology demands that you think uh, do time preference. I think praxeology and time preference they're separate. Well, no, it is. It's, I mean, time preference is... I will is agree a, with you. My dog has no sense of time preference and neither does Mark's. It's, and there's it's probably not even, some relationship I, there. I'm not even talking about time preference yet. I'm just saying that like you're able to think about uh, achieving your goals indirectly so that someone where it's like, uh, uh, I forget who the economist was that explained it, like uh, how you can, you know, indirect action produces uh, greater productivity. So praxeology isn't just it, so that I can understand. Man, this reminds me of the old days where you would educate me about Bitcoin while we were both drunk. So, <laughs> and I haven't so, been drinking tonight, so. So praxeology then, if we go further with it from what you're building on, praxeology is more like a statement about how man acts uniquely with the ability to indirectly gain his intentions through tools or other people? I don't... Um, why does the indirect so, so part matter? It's because because you can... you can. Well, I may have been getting ahead of myself. It, it, I'm, I'm saying it matters indirectly because you can, you can chain together something and uh, kind of imagine in your head how to, how to arrive at some goal and that you can kind of in, I guess envision, envision a way to, to get there. That's not just like, I'm hungry, eat food. Like you can, so what you can do is you can, you can, you're hungry and there's, there's berries. Um, you can, you can go find us and you can eat the berries that you can, you can just grab. Um, but you realize that if you reach the berries up, um, up higher, there's a lot more because the berries that are at hand level are also at level, you know, of the deer and the other animals. So you're kind of competing with them where you see berries up a little bit higher and you're like, well, I would like to get those berries. Um, so we're able to say, Hey, well, I can, you know, go find a big stick and I can knock the branches up there and get more berries up there. Or at what point are we, are, at what point are we acting rationally? When, um, well, when you're when you're trying to you're acting in a way to achieve a goal, that's really what I rational Barry, action is. I see Barry. I hunger. I have two hands, unlike you, Rollo, who has no hands. Right. I have two that's hands. Unfortunate. I go to pick. Is that it? The minute you you move to pick, or the minute you intend to move to pick, something like that, right? Uh, it's, no, it's, that's action. I mean, there's, so there's there's rational action versus yeah. just uh, instinctual action. Like you're hungry, you eat. That's mm-hmm. like instinctual. But in order, I guess the the more rational action is to be able to d- develop tools or uh, create a recipe or a procedure in order to do now something. Now I know. Now I know Mises didn't have this many addendums to praxeology because I've read it and well, no, like he I've just read that no, praxeology he describes it. It's very simple. Yeah, it's <laughs> that's, just, that's, praxeology is the study of human action. Okay, so here's what I'm trying to get at, I guess, in a roundabout way. The reason why we sound like we reason differently is because the two of us, because of the inefficiency of language, this is what post-structuralism tries to point out. There's more an inefficiency of language than there is an inefficiency in the way we're using the terms. We know what we mean to say. It's when we try to communicate it to one another that there becomes a discrepancy. That's what Deleuze notices. Now, there may be truth. There may even be a kind of objective truth. 
But because we're only ever communicating in substandard ways, there is no way for one single full person or a collection even of people to have a full objective view of any given thing. Number one, because of the amount of people and the biases and contexts they bring into the analysis of something, someone could simply forget to make a logical analysis. But more importantly, two, the terms and conditions under which the thing has to be analyzed. And so I don't think that's what Marx is saying, by the way. I think Marx genuinely believes that if you're born and raised in a proletarian economic situation, you have a particular way of thinking. I don't, I don't, I think that's nonsense. I, 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 first of all, I think he made up the proletarian class for there to be a kind of way they think in the first place. Um, but I, but that is where I always seem to run up against praxeology is because it sounds nice. And for the most part, I, I, I have no interest in arguing against it because it says something to me that doesn't change anything else. I believe down, down the road, like you go, I act purposefully. Cool. All right. Then you go, I, I don't act purposefully. Awesome. It's like, I'm still doing what I'm doing here and now. So I, I think what bothers me about praxeology is simply that I don't understand the environment of the question. They act. Uh, okay. I still don't understand yeah. how my dog isn't doing this. My dog isn't acting. Yeah, you can't you can't teach your dog a procedure. Um, like to, to you can teach your dog tricks, but he's doing the right. trick to get like um a treat or something. He just he doesn't understand what he just knows that all right if I you know raise my paw up, I get uh -huh. food. It's, it's, whereas, yeah. where it's like, if you try to, like, you couldn't teach him how to bake a cake. You could only teach him to like very basic instinctual, like press this button, treat pops out. And so he, but I know you, but I know you know that the capacity to bake a cake does not determine whether or not someone is acting rationally. So what does that mean in an ab abstract sense? That you can, that, that, that there's a goal there's some goal that's out there. Okay. And man can formulate a way to achieve that goal that's not random chance. That's better than random chance. Again, my dog can do that. In uh, two ways. He can literally go and stick his head into the berry bush and he can bark at me to activate me like a machine to go and get his food. Right, but that—that's just like he, he, that. That's just like a. Uh, he's like being if like you, a computer. Rollo, if you pressed, if you pressed a light switch, mm -hmm. no one would argue that was a purposeful act to turn the light on. Right. Correct. Mm -hmm. If my dog barks at me, a verbal command which activates me like a robot to get him food. I don't. I don't see the procedural difference in that. In those two things. Yeah, because you're not you're not doing something that, that is like indirect. So it has to always be indirect. Well no, no, ac action is just action. Like that's that's a no, very I'm saying generic thing. To be classified as praxeological. Cause I that what I'm trying to say is if it's praxeology, the, the whole thing about praxeology is humans act. Now I guess what I'm asking is, are humans the only things that act? No. Okay, good. Humans so are we the only even, things so that act rationally. Rationally. Okay, so then it's not the action part that I have an no, issue with. Yeah, it's yeah, the yeah. rational part. But that I feel way more comfortable disputing because, and I've probably said this a million times in other episodes, the way you define rational 
couldn't butt up against the way I define rational. Well, so how we do you could define probably ra- talk about that. So, so yeah, who the you... fuck knows, Rallo? Why well, don't how... you do it first? Because you're already okay. on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So rational just means that you are doing something that is that you in. So you're acting in a way that you intend to achieve your end. You are engaging in a means with the intention to achieve whatever goal that you have. That is rational action. Okay. Rallo, open the door, I say to you. And you open the door. Was that a rational action on my part? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. If you want, assuming that you wanted the, you wanted me. Yes. 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 I wanted you to open the door. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So we go back to the dog. Dog barks. I feed. What you're contesting is somewhere along the line, the dog does not know that the bark leads to me getting the food. He just knows the bark equals food. That's what you're contending. Uh, yeah. So that the the difference between action and rational action is that there has to be an operational medium between the two that you understand you're using. Um, yes. All right, man. (laughs) I actually like that. That's a different way to think about it because I've never thought about the fact that you need an operation in between. Um, I would have to sit on that. Well, it's like, let me, I, I, I wish I was, I wish I, I wish I read through. I'm, and also, have, by the way, I have the book open totally for me to fucking this up and our yeah. listener and the listeners could be like, what are you doing? The both of you insane people, please send me books to read. You know, I read books. Yeah. <laughs> send this is me one of those cases I'm where if, if I were listening to this, I'd be like, Rollo, you idiot. It's so simple. But when you're in the, in the, in the, in the middle of simple. it, it's not simple. In the middle of it, you're like, uh, Any, no, your brain. that's Twitter thinking. Anyone who thinks having a philosophical conversation is simple has the privilege of sitting there and typing out their thoughts for a very, very long time and yes. still getting it wrong. We're getting it wrong on the fly. <laughs> we have, we have, uh, we're not cowards here. Try doing what I do. You can't do what Try I do. Doing, yeah. Okay. Um, um, hold on. Hold on. Let me. Uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, all right. I think I might have found. Uh, okay. This this might answer. Uh, what Mises says. You came for the best listeners. All right. Well, actually, I'm going to jump around a little bit. Uh, this is this yeah. is from I think chapter. I didn't get to bring any quotes, by the way. Well, that's because your all your episodes with Pete was just you reading. So you were you were just <laughs> everything was a quote. <laughs> so now I get to take a break. <laughs> yes. Now I get to okay. read. All right. All right. Um, Human action is necessary. Um, I might have contradicted uh, Mises earlier. Um, I, I don't. Who cares? Just yeah. So it. actually, all right. Human action is. Yes. All right. I was wrong. I was wrong before. So human action is necessarily always rational. The term yeah. rational action is therefore pleonastic and must be rejected as such. When applied to the ultimate ends of action, the term rational and irrational are inappropriate and meaningless. The ultimate mm-hmm. end of action is always the satisfaction of some desires of the acting man. Mm-hmm. Since nobody mm-hmm. is in a position to substitute his own value judgments for those of the acting individual, it is vain to pass judgment on other people's aims and volitions. No man is qualified mm-hmm. to declare what blah, 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 blah. 
Wow. Um, Dude, Mises really is a quite a bit um more postmodern than I thought. That is that is not what you were saying. Yeah, because I was I I made the mistake of um separating rational action from action. Um so, okay, so there is so all so Mises is saying all action is human action. Yes. Yes. And, okay, and he that still doesn't resolve the argument for me. Maybe we'll get to sure. it. But that... Hmm. Uh, okay, that's what that's where I was confusing it with. He was calling it... Um, conscious versus unconscious... Listeners, the oh, first animal, 45 minutes animal of this react. conversation... Yeah, all first right, 45 that's... minutes of this conversation was us having a conversation. The second 45 minutes is us hurting our brains. Yes. <laughs> Trying to remember what I read. Uh, so it's at purposeful action. All right. You know what? Part one, chapter one, section yeah. one. Human yeah. action, acting man, purposeful action, and animal reaction. Human action mm. is purposeful behavior. Or we may mm -hmm. say action is will put into operation and transformed into an agency, is aiming at ends and goals, is the ego's meaningful response to stimuli and to the conditions of its mm. environment, is a person's Blech. conscious adjustment to the state of the universe that determines his life. Such oh paraphrases may clarify the definition given and prevent possible misinterpretations, but the definition itself is adequate and does not need complement or commentary. Conscious or Did purposeful Did Mises write this? This yes. is Mises? Yes. Oh my God. Conscious right, go or ahead. purposeful <laughs> behavior is in sharp contrast to unconscious behavior. That is the reflexes oh, and the boy. involuntary responses of the body's cells and nerves to stimuli. People are sometimes prepared to believe that the boundaries between conscious behavior and the involuntary reaction of forces operating within man's body are more or less indefinite. This is correct only as far as it is sometimes not easy to establish whether concrete behavior is to be considered voluntary or involuntary. But no. the distinction between conscious and unconscious is nonetheless sharp and can be clearly determined. What a socialist. Jesus. <laughs> wow. I don't I, That went from really strongly agreeing to instantly disagreeing very quickly. Really? What do you disagree um, about? Well, look, it's Mises. All right. So first of all, he's being informed by the psychology of his time. And so all of those thoughts about operational will, I mean, a lot of these concepts have been adjusted. First of all, so I hear a lot of things. The one thing that really just struck out to me about what you said was that the only real difference between concrete and rational action and irrational action is that there's sometimes a difficulty of telling the case. And it's only that there's a difficulty of telling and that it is that rational and irrational actions never blend. And action is either always going to be rational or irrational. And it's only well, us uh, conscious, looking at it. Conscious or unconscious. Not rational. Right, or which or is irrational. another. Okay. And now this relies on a, a concept of the conscious, which comes from a psychology of the 1800s, which has been revamped and moved over. Some people don't even believe in the conscious. Some people believe in a, a, a dividual conscious. See what I mean? Okay. And I'm not trying to do this. Uh, to skirt away from the good points that are being made. But when we talk about polylogism, it almost seems like that could be used as a hand-waving term 
to dismiss me as asking too many questions about the start of the argument. And to me, I hear a lot of outside theories and concepts being used to inform Mises, which I love. But Mises, at least his writings, are being informed by some very old science and art. Very old. Now, that doesn't invalidate anything. I'm not prepared to invalidate praxeology right now. I'm still very curious about it. In fact, while I think I should read um, that Bob Murphy book first, because he's a good writer and can summarize uh, human action decently well, I should probably do that. So I'm not dismissing it offhand. But I did just hear reference to another field outside of economics and logic, psychology, which references the consciousness, which is not, which is a theory and not a fact. There's no proof of a consciousness in, in any sense. And that is what he's basing the difference between action on. Well, so I think that's one area I might look at. Well, he, he does. So the next paragraph, he kind of explains unconscious behavior. So the unconscious behavior of the bodily organs and cells is for the acting ego, no less a datum than any other fact of the external world. Acting man must mm. take into account all that goes within his own body as well as all as other data. Example, the weather or the attitudes of his neighbors. There is, of course, yeah, a margin sure. within which purposeful behavior has the power to neutralize the working of bodily factors. It is feasible within certain limits to get the body uh, under control. Uh, so it's like, you know, you eat food. Yeah, yeah. It's, un it's, it's not human sure. action that your body digests it. No, no, no. And, and Rollo, like I don't even, listen, the, a volcano erupting in Scotland and your body digesting food, I have precisely the same amount of power over. Right. So I'm not against that. I get to me, and I think even Deleuze would, if you flatten out your way of looking at the world in that sense, where there's exactly much difference between you, uh, your body digesting and a volcano erupting, you have the same amount of inaction on those two things. I think Deleuze would probably agree with that. It's perfectly fine. Makes sense to me. Um, okay. Hmm. So I guess basically, I mean, maybe that's why Bob Murphy titled his book Choice, because action, I guess you could maybe kind of, uh, I might end up being like, oh, actually, I was wrong there. But like, it's it's basically where you have a choice, right? And that would constitute uh, uh, action. And 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 again, just to further demonstrate, again, not me trying to debunk this, but I think this is where a lot of people get annoyed with postmodernists, not that I consider myself one, but it is a trend in postmodernism to be metacritical about stuff. You know, take the theory and go, well, hold on, all these values you've selected might not even be right in the first place. Are you sure you properly define all of them? Um, but I do think that's valuable in this case, that right. um, we, we should make sure that all the things that are in there are properly defined, that we accept them, and that they aren't just based on arts like psychology. Yeah, speaking, speaking of defining things, I don't know that I have a good definition of postmodernism in my head. Okay, I could give you a solid one. Yeah. Um, postmodernism refers to a few things. This is so funny. So actually, you're going to be very proud of me. <laughs> there's, a, there's Nick Land, right? There's a writer, Nick Land, who's post-Deleuzian. After Deleuze died, Nick Land is probably one of the few guys who takes his work and makes a right-wing, crazy, weirdo, fascist version out of it. It's very strange, very interesting reading. He's got a thing called Cryptocurrent. Bitcoin and philosophy. Turns out he's a Bitcoin maximalist. And not only that, but he's such a maximalist that he's a guy, he actually believes Bitcoin is a time machine. And it's a fascinating little argument. So I have the whole thing written on here. And I just literally, the sentence that I just said, I read out from here. And then the next sentence uh, is, 
about how Bitcoin is a flow of time, electricity, and cash. Um, that doesn't help me explain anything, but it does <laughs> make me laugh because I'm reading very strange shit about Bitcoin that I hope to present one day. Anyway, for postmodernism, Nick Land, who would probably be classed among the postmodernists, um, there's a few definitions that you will hear being used. The first and most commonly used one is to refer to an intellectual thought movement in France that occurred between the 50s and the 70s. Now, the second thing is, what is the content of that movement? Uh, the united content of that movement, postmodernism, is either that it is existentialist, which means that it comes out of the theories that were presented by Martin Heidegger, a phenomenologist. Uh, the idea behind phenomenology is that the only things that are real are things that we experience, that we as conscious beings experience. Um, and structuralism, which is a French theory that basically says uh, logic can only be described uh, in terms of language. Anything that cannot be uh, described in terms of language, uh, there is no logical reality to it. And that the way we see the world is built after the languages we have. That means when we think of categories of language, our world is built after that, not beforehand. We, the world doesn't build language. Language builds the world. That's structuralism. Phenomenology is a radical opposite, which is experience builds the world. Language has nothing to do with the things you experience. It's just a sign that refers to another sign. The postmodernists take that theory, phenomenology, and radicalize it in a couple of different ways. Two ways in particular, the Foucauldian way and the Deleuzian way. Foucault is probably better described as a moral relativist in that he does not see absolute truth within social settings. Foucault would never deny that there are uh, intrinsically logical systems like mathematics or critique or any other number of consistent internally logical systems. He would simply say those systems have zero applicability uh, to the larger world or any other in person at all individually. Um, you have that. That is considered postmodernism in that it rejects one of the suppositions of modernism, structuralism, the idea that language builds the world, rejects that. That's why it's post-structuralism. The other side of post-structuralism is semi-related in that Foucault and Deleuze often worked together in political theory. But Deleuze's side is more of a perspectivist side, which says truth and the world do exist. This comes from Nietzsche, probably. Truth and the world might exist, but we are agnostic about whether or not absolute truth exists. But any truth, anything, can only ever be understood after understanding the terms by which the analysis has to take place. If we are looking at a building, there are many different ways we can look at a building. We can look at a building in terms of its value in the surrounding economy, and we can say, man, okay, the building is worth that much. We can also look at the building in terms of the lives lived in the building. And we can say, this is a radical building. There's a whole bunch of people in here with radical ways of living. Lots of anarcho-communists and weirdos live in here. You can, you can analyze the building in a social setting. You can analyze the building from what it provokes inside of you in the form of architecture, whether it be art or things. So Deleuze says... There may or may not be absolute truth, but as human beings, we are limited in our ability to understand it only in as much as we understand the full context of the analysis around it. 
Now that is more what I believe and what I fall into, but both of those approaches are considered postmodernism. And as you can now hear, they don't really have very much in common in the starting way that they look of the world between Foucault and Deleuze, which is absolutely true. Despite that, Foucault and Deleuze praised one another a lot. Um, the, the commonality between them, again, just happens to be the rejection of modernism. And if we wanted to get into inside baseball about what modernism is, Hegel and Kant, Kant's logical categories, which Misesians use incessantly. Uh, it is a fundamental basis, Kantian logic, certainly in Hoppe's system, but in the larger Austrian system. Um, and then who else was it? Oh, and Hegel, who gives us both idealism and then Marx's materialism and the dialectic, which I think Hegel developed the dialectic in response to Kant. So you really only have those two trains of thought in modernism as it goes. You also have neoliberalism, which comes out of liberalism, which is also modernist theory, but it traces further back to you know, Catholic theology, pre-modernist theology, things like that, you know, with Locke saying you're endowed by God with certain inalienable rights. So that traces back even farther, but they all eventually coalesce in modernism, which postmodernism in the 1960s and 70s, being informed by theories from the 1910s and 20s, seeks to rebel against. So in a very long form way, that's what it is. In short, postmodernism is the rejection of modernist theories. That's it. <laughs> did i lose you <laughs> um yeah i mean I, it's more or less what i understood it as but it's still like i guess i'm searching for just like a uh you want to be able to argue with it but it's still too unclear to poke at no, yeah, there's like certain elements I can poke, but I just don't even like know where like center. Yeah, you wouldn't want to poke it. until because I you wouldn't want to poke until you've more fully understood it, which I've done a very basic explanation. Yeah, well, I, mean, I saw this. Well, I, I saw this meme once. But it's it's the a lot of the problems, or at least my experience with postmodernism is postmodernists, and that they no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> a lot like, of them don't like understand so many uh, things. Yeah, like so many things. It's yeah, the problem right. with the thing is that because mm -hmm. I, I saw this meme one time, someone was criticizing people who uh, are were critiquing postmodernism, and he's like, "Well, oh, you, you know, you idiots, you're criticizing postmodernism, but uh, you don't even understand what you're talking about." So this is postmodernism, and, and it was a uh, a picture of this like three dimensional shape, and then. From each axis, from each axis, there was a light shining on it and projected a shadow. Yes, so that's like, that is perspectivism. Yeah, yeah. and he's and he's mm -hmm. like, well, each that. each different way you're looking at it, it's a different shape. And I'm like, no, it is one shape. It's, it just correct. depends on how you're looking at it, but it doesn't. Well, you're change right. The essence yeah, of what it there well, is a true shape hmm. there. Just mm -hmm. because you see it from one angle does not negate that it's. Like well, you, you only have the privilege of, the of saying that there's a whole shape there because you're looking at the entire photograph that was created. But if you think about it, in reality, the way science works, it never assumes that there's a whole anything anywhere because to do that, you'd need to know what it would look like. Right, but it it's doesn't, more, it doesn't really, reject... No, well, that doesn't imply well, rejection. it rejects essences. Yeah, but it doesn't reject the idea there is a one true explanation or one true whatever there. Like, yes, it does. It, it rejects that there's one true explanation. It doesn't reject that there's potentially one emanating the object is, from which like, everybody's pulling these explanations out. 
Yeah, but no but doubt, there no is doubt. one there. But that like even if we even if I don't have the ability to perceive of what the the actual shape is, I can only see what my perspective is. Correct. It doesn't. It doesn't mean like I, my perspective is my perspective, and what I'm looking at is what I'm looking at. Right. But it doesn't negate that there is a true shape or whatever that object is. No, I don't think um, the perspectivist side seeks to negate that. But uh, but. Um, if you're if 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 the if the argument goes well, you can't say objective truth doesn't exist. I think uh, Deleuze agrees. I, I think that's not an issue for him. Okay, yeah, I think it's that's, that's I think my... for Foucault. I, well, and you well, this is okay. So what you're doing is you're basically you're doing a more intelligent version of 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 the very classically restated. To say there's no such thing as objective truth is a statement of objective right, truth. Right. Right. Which is, uh, when I went into Hoppe's episode, that is actually one of the things that Hoppe uses. Well, it's actually one of the things that Jürgen Habermas uses, his teacher, in a debate against Foucault. It's Habermas who says Foucault doesn't make any sense because he's making a universal statement about how there can't be any universal statements. That's, so that comes from there. I mean, I agree, but I that again, there's two different sides to postmodernism. There's the updated David Hume, um, which comes from Deleuze, and there's the updated, basically classical Greek skepticism of Foucault, the total rejection. There was this guy Pyrrhus, an ancient Greek philosopher, who almost drowned to death because he told his uh, students that he was such a radical skeptic that he believed air wasn't necessary and he was going to go and try and prove it by drowning himself. <laughs> and he nearly killed himself uh, in order to try and prove that it was only oxygen was only needed because we th were tricked into thinking we needed it. But really, a human could subsist without this. Now, it's not that loony when you think about it, when you think about it, there are a whole other religious sects that believe in asceticism in very much the same way. That to, to deprive yourself of things actually increases your power rather than so it's not that sure. ridiculous. But when you when you when you stated in a in in when you go all the way to Foucault, I mean that's what you end up with is stuff that just doesn't ring sensibly uh, in the modern century. And I would never deny that. I think Foucault is a genius in his analysis of the carceral system in the United States and the larger school system and healthcare system. And I also think that Foucault predicted exactly what we're seeing with Vax Pass um, today. So it's, you know, he's not without his positives, but as far as metaphysics goes, uh, yeah, you can safely discard Foucault and also acknowledge, I think Deleuze is quite a bit different if you can't read Deleuze, because although I think Deleuze's works outside of the uh, Capitalism and Schizophrenia series are really good. He was a teacher. If you watch his lectures online, he's very clear about what he says. Those are good. Go check that out if you're curious. But um, yeah, to, to, to wrap on this, myself, Deleuze, and many postmodernists, I think any of them that are making necessarily the argument that uh, there is no such thing as objective truth, they are mistaken about the train of thought that comes out of Deleuze. So if they wanted to be committed Deleuzean thinkers, which I want to be that way because I believe Deleuze was correct in a new approach, meaning correct as in applicable to my way of life in the most satisfying way I've found yet, in the most sensible way that I've found yet, I, I welcome other people to look into him. But if they can't or don't want to, you know, David Hume, Baruch Spinoza, um, God, there's like five major thinkers Deleuze pulls from frequently, Friedrich Nietzsche, I mean, these, you know, Deleuze himself, he came in the 1970s, but a lot of his ideas, you know, they come from very long time ago. So 
the other thing I wanted, the final thing I'd wrap on is I think a lot of people think postmodernism is this new thing. And um, maybe for Foucault, it is newer and more updated uh, Greek skepticism. But for Deleuze, I mean, Deleuze's theories start at Descartes, you know, in the 1600s and move forward. And that's not to validate them, but it is to say there's a longer history uh, and a lot of rigorous action that has been taken uh, towards and against these theories. So this is not didn't come out of the blue. If you're curious about any particular way that this argument developed, how Deleuze came about, you, you can look into Hume, you can look into uh, Nietzsche, you can look into all of these figures to figure it out. Um, I think he's not that unapproachable, Raul. I think you read him already and you liked something from him, or mm -hmm. at least you recalled it, which I found very, that's good. I like that you recalled nomadology. Now, I, now I'm pressed to do the episode on it for you. Yeah. Um, I got to do that. Um, but yeah, so I think he's a fascinating thinker. In fact, I think Deleuze is the most important thinker of his time, you know, really who's ever lived as far as philosophy goes. A lot of other thinkers in other areas who are more important, of course. But for philosophy, I think Deleuze changed everything. And um, I'm hopefully seeking to, um, you know, maybe one day take Austrian theory and post-structuralism and smash them together. And when you read Mises, I hear so much of it that I, I could be highlighting and going... Mises was a postmodernist. <laughs> Mises, postmodernist. Mises, 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 which I think Thaddeus Russell said one time. Um, maybe true, maybe not, but you've intrigued me, Rollo. I think. Yeah. Um, I, well, I think what's interesting is that and I'm very influenced by Mises and I get you know, the Austrian school and, and praxeology to say that, like, it's it's we can't predict the future and that's why we like we don't want central planning so like we we, yes. we all mm -hmm. want we all have like desires and we all want to have like a very productive wealthy world but we there's no way to like know it's it's just subjective value theory so there's no way to be like this is the path that we have to go on now there are ways that we can figure out clues to get us you know where we're wanting to go I mean, that's that's why we have built sure. up productivity and have become wealthier because we figured out ways. Um, I think I guess I guess some people or I re I'll, I'll, instead of trying to say what other people think, I'll say I reject that just because we don't know, um, you know, whatever this ultimate truth is or, or we can't, you know, arrive at it perfectly, that we can't make truthful state. We can't make statements that are true or valid, arrive, valid statements right right yeah no i agree Deleuze does too yeah and that um yeah it, it it doesn't just because we can't necessarily attain it right now or ever doesn't mean that it doesn't exist and that we can't make valid right. valid statements yeah the way that's actually i think that's you just pointed on a good thing to me truth false um i'm comfortable abandoning those concepts but validity and invalidity I think make far more sense as in whether or not they are applicable to the situation makes is perfect for me. Cause you, the market always will be first of all, and Marxism always will not be applicable to the situation. I think it's Hoppe who says, you know, something like they could have been forgiven earlier on trying these theories, you know, maybe the, the Marxists he's talking about, they could have been forgiven earlier on because there was, this has not been tested. It has been sufficiently tested. And he, at one point or another, he says something like that in a small little paper of his, and I thought that was very funny. There's definitely invalid approaches, without a doubt. And those need to be fought against first and foremost. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, so it's it's all very uh I'm trying to I'm trying to think of like a nice little clever way to like tie tie all my thoughts together, but it is uh well it's it's one of those things where you're like I'm reading reading Mises and I'm like, oh this makes perfect sense. Yes, this is great. Yeah. And then I try to go back and explain it and I just you can't, contradict yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm totally wrong. I'm telling you this. And then I go back like, oops, 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 just disregard. Hope don't just. I hope you stop. Didn't like stop listening uh, before I corrected myself. <laughs> <laughs> There's a I. Okay, so on that note, so this cryptocurrent, this thing by Nick Land, I have I have read because I highlight as I read. I have read 17 out of 70 pages, and I have 233 comments and highlighted texts <laughs> so nice it's um insane so yeah whenever you whenever i'm like you man i i i already know that's my tendency is i'll read something and go mm -hmm, mm -hmm, i love this this is great and then tomorrow i'll be like what was the guy's name yeah and so i i have to make these absurd notes these like my, the book is like multicolored the lines it's ridiculous. yeah like i i, I couldn't I, even, I get it i couldn't even remember the uh the terms the correct terms that Mises used. I was like, oh no, there's action, there's rational and irrational yeah, action. The great thing about postmodernists is there's no terms. Uh, they just use a bunch of different words to mean the same fucking thoughts. So I think that's the thing that drives that. me crazy too. Dude, it drives me nuts. So Deleuze, finally, I've said his name 35 times, finally, uh, he's got two different ways of writing. Capitalism and Schizophrenia, two book series, is one style of writing he wrote with this weirdo LSD-dropping psychologist named Felix Guattari. And the book is insane. It's LSD, acid-driven nonsense fest. Uh, and there's a lot of profound things that are said in it, as, you know, sometimes a lot of profound music driven by acid can occur. But there's also a lot of hot garbage and weird nonsense in it as well. Then there's the other side, which is, oh, yeah, he's a teacher. I forgot. So he does basically what I do, which is he goes and he th talks about a thinker. He does Plato, David Hume, Descartes, and he just summarizes all their thoughts, which is very interesting and easy to follow. Those are easy to follow where he where he does use the same terms for things. But then you go to the postmodern writing where it's like five different words and they all mean um, this guy's not happy about his day. He feels alienated, isolated, alone, and those words will all be used. And the one thing I've always appreciated about Austrian theory in particular from the theorists that I have read is there's a consistency of terminology that you don't even find in other philosophies that's really easy, makes it so easy to read. Mm -hmm. So good. So I do appreciate them for that. Like Hoppe, mwah, so easy to read. A priori, whenever he means logic it's just operator it's it's beautiful simple he never doesn't use reason logic rational it's 10 different words to me just one word it's fantastic yeah so i will give them that and anybody who's writing philosophy or anything should really strive to do that use the same words yeah yeah it just makes the communication that much clearer and you know not adding to confusion and i think that's I, I think that it, it, it without kind of accusing people of anything, when you are able to just be very consistent and concise with your terms, I think that shows a confidence. Um, it definitely in, does. in what you're doing, and that that you don't have to kind of not obfuscate, but um, 
Yeah, I, I created no. bird's nest of things that it's just like, you're like well, well, all right, this I guess he's just like he's saying all this crazy stuff and he's really sounds mm-hmm. like he's so I guess. OK, I can't even I can't even start to, uh, you know, <laughs> there's plenty of there's plenty this, of obscurantists. So. There's plenty of obscurantists in every philosophical field. Um, and that's not to take away from one in particular, but there's plenty. So don't when you're reading anything. Don't just assume that the person is telling you important stuff. Right. It's important not to. But if you're going to read a book, read the whole book or don't comment on it. Because there are a lot of books that I've read that feel well, like now nonsense I can't talk until about the last 10 action. pages. Well, you got to finish it. Well, <laughs> actually, you can because Mises' system, which is so beautiful and logically consistent, you should be able to talk about it right now, having right. not finished the book. Yeah. And come up with exactly the things he would have said. Mm-hmm. And that's how you know it's an internally logical system. Yes. Which it pretty much is. Yeah. Which is always nice. Well, that's that's why it's so impressive that I like what I really like about it is that you start from that first that first sentence that is human action is well, pur- purposeful behavior. Don't do it. No, because now my head I'm listen, I'm giving Mises credit, but I want to go back in and go. No, I'm gonna I'm 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 going to just end it. Free market success no, story, I'm, please. I'm going to that compliment you just gave, I'm going to twist it around and make it seem like you just said that you absolutely agree with the action axiom. That is which that is what builds I don't like axioms. You'll never ax me. You'll never get me to ax. Oh. Uh, I have to tell you, Rollo, I don't have a single, and this is my um, detractor in my cornfield, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have a free market success story because um, I'm too pessimistic about the world to have one. Uh, so do you have one? Do you have anything that I can look forward to? <laughs> um. That's what I thought. No, I do. Actually, this is kind of neat. Oh, okay. There's a, uh, All right. I was at the grocery store the other day, and I and something caught my eye that I hadn't seen before, and there was just like a bunch of these bones, uh, you know, near the meat section, and they're uh, selling them as dog treats, like a- actual bones. There was like this mammoth oh, one. Looks nice. like, you know, ones you like see on a cartoon. Like marrow bones and stuff? Yeah, I, I don't know what parts they, I guess, but it was what it probably, what I imagine it was, it was bones of, of animals that got butchered up that weren't fit for any sort of human consumption for whatever reason. Um, and so they packaged them into dog treats and were able to sell Hell them yeah. profitably. So um, they're not wasting any part of the, uh, any part of the animal, you know. Well, it's like when you, uh, you know, shopping for any sort of meat or produce or anything, like you're 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 looking at when you're at the food store and you're looking at like a bunch of fruits and vegetables and stuff, you're looking mm-hmm. at like the best of the best. Oh yeah, yes you, know, you if, are. Oh if, yes if, you if are. If you've ever grown anything, uh, mm-hmm. you know you're you all those nice straight cucumbers. Or worked at a supermarket. Yeah, those nice straight cucumbers you see in there. Like if you ever grown them, there are just you see some like gnarly looking stuff. Gnarly. Yep. And mm-hmm. uh, or just like carrots. I started growing carrots last year and. I, the shapes of carrots that I was growing was truly amazing. I think I had one that was like, actually looked like a carrot. And so all those other cat, all those other like weird stuff you see, that's what goes into like the purees and the canned stuff and the things that don't really matter. 
as much. Like the yeah. presentation doesn't matter as much. So, um, you know, you're not going to waste um, the best looking, most pleasing looking foods by, you know, pureeing it and throwing it into a, a can or something. It doesn't make sense because that, that um, cannibalizes what you're able to put into onto the, uh, the shelves on the store. And if you're putting like weird, you know, three-legged carrots or something, then people <laughs> are going to not like it as much, even though it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. But, you know, visual visual stuff matters. and It's, it's pleasing to people. So, um, yeah, they all find their right place in the... Uh, um, in the various stages of, of, uh, food production and, and food sale. So it's, it's pretty, pretty neat. Pretty neat. I, I bone, I bone. Be the name of the essay. I bone. I have a similar <laughs> actually now that you've jogged my mind about my free market success story, which it's really, I think it is. So on Easter Catholics eat lamb, not a mandate, but it's something that we do. Something that I do. I, I don't eat lamb any other day of the year. I don't know about you, Rollo. I don't eat lamb any other day of the year except Easter. Because I like, uh, I'm not a huge fan of lamb, but some, for some reason on Easter it just feels right mm -hmm. and it tastes better because of that. Uh, or I'll go to a bomb Turkish restaurant and they'll give me great lamb. But nice. I don't do that often. So, rarely eat lamb, but I really wanted lamb. You know, I've had a bad year and a half. We all have had a bad year and a half because we're prisoners in our own homes. And so I just wanted to, you know, have a good Easter. And so I wanted to make lamb. So I went out to a supermarket where my father ensured me, assured me, that there was going to be lamb. I went, no lamb. All the Catholics came and bought it up. So I looked around, frightfully. Am I not going to have lamb? There was a butcher's store just a block down, D'Angelo's. Went there. The guy behind the counter, buddy, I just sold the last leg of lamb. I didn't even want a leg of lamb. It's $50. I just wanted ribs. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. I'm, I'm furious. Am I not going to have lamb on freaking Easter? The one day of the year I want to have it? I, 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 I take drastic measures. I get out my cell phone. I look at it. I get out the Uber app. After having Googled... Where can I get lamb? Turns out there was a place called Western Beef, a very large supermarket, probably nationwide, I'm not sure, but very large meat-based supermarket that had lamb chop, shoulder cut, and rib cut. I get in the Uber, $22 to get to this fucking place. Excuse my French. And I arrive, I get to the butcher area, I look at the thing, you know, where they keep all the lamb stuff. It's empty. No. I'm aghast. I'm aghast. Call ahead. I did. Oh. It's empty. I run over to the butcher and I go, buddy, I just called. Any lamb left? The guy looks at me and he goes, oh, you were the one who called. I kept it to the side for you. Oh, ha, ha. Hands me two packages, one of shoulder and one of rib hands them to me. I leave with my purchased uh, lambs. I made a delicious pesto based farro broccoli rob with a little mm. bit of agave and some nice uh, eh, Italian herbs and spices. There was some rosemary and some thyme yeah. on the lamb. 
grilled it on my cast iron. Well, let me not say grill. Stove topped on my cast iron, which I, I use every day now, the cast iron. I'm crazy about it. Uh, it's, it makes the, food it's, it's the best. In a way that I didn't even imagine food could be that good. I always thought people were over-exaggerating. I usually no. think trends are fake. No. 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 Cast iron. It gets hotter than anything I've managed to cook with. It, it burns those marks in. So beautiful. The caramelization is supreme. So Cast iron short, is, a, is the got, return to tradition. It really is. It's it's truly an atavistic return. It is what our ancestors have always wanted. Cook Go with fire. Cook on cast cook iron. with fire and iron. Oh, beautiful stuff. So, long story short, there's a couple of things that happened in there. I'm lucky enough to live in a state, despite all of its flaws, where I could visit three different supermarkets or butcher places looking for something that wasn't there because it was purchased out by happy Catholics looking <laughs> to celebrate a happy Easter provided with their food that they eat by tradition that makes them very happy. Yes. I finally managed to get some of my own at a supermarket that fit for me via an Uber. Some people would say, yeah, but you had to pay $20 to get on that Uber. You know what? If I didn't pay that $20, if that Uber didn't exist, if that guy didn't take that risk creating Uber in the first place, going against the state to create the business in the first place, I wouldn't have a lamb. $20. Who cares? I wouldn't have been able to celebrate Easter the right way. So not that I'm claiming Uber is the free market nowadays, but that intuition is what made it happen, made it be a thing. That intuition is what made all those supermarkets come about, be a thing, want to serve people. Everybody was happy on Easter and they got all their lamb and I did too. And so that I felt like was a free market success story. I like it. Speaking of meats, uh, I was yes. at the supermarket the other day and I normally don't see this. I normally see them only frozen, but I bought a fresh duck. Ooh, I'm making duck bacon, four months aged. Oh, nice. And I'm I'm yeah, going dude. to use my Julia Child, the art of mastering French cooking. Oh, book. you have that book? I got a Julia Child book. Yes. I don't remember. What uh, mastering nice. French cooking, the art of French cooking. French cooking. Yeah. I might have that very same book. I got to take a picture of it at some point. Cool. Hey, do it. Here's what you, you had a whole duck. You said yes. Take the breast, cut the breast. I'm pretty sure it's the breast, but I'll make double sure. Cut the breast, put it in a styrofoam Tupperware, close it up, leave it there for four months. Well, obviously brine it, pack it in salt, and then take it out, leave it there for four months. And you and you get duck bacon. Hmm. And it is bomb. That's I put it on sandwiches. I put it on pizza like prosciutto. It's incredible. Oh, dude, I love duck. And yeah. I've, uh, I've, the, so good. I, I've, the only other way I've ever cooked duck was just roasting it, just salt, pepper. Mm. And that's it. And I love watching the skin just like bubble and bounce from all the fat. Ooh, and then like yes. uh, just like a regular size, whatever, like an eight or uh, eight pound, six, seven, eight pound duck. You get a pint of duck fat out of it. Oh, and God. I'm sure you can use that for everything. Yes. Like that is top is tier. Is that schmaltz? That would be considered schmaltz, right? I don't know which schmaltz. Sure. Schmaltz. You know, like we call tallow, tallow, because yeah. it comes from beef. Mm -hmm. We call lard, lard, because it comes from pig. Yep. I think bird fat is called schmaltz. Oh, okay. Well, there's different bird, because like chicken fat is good, too. I've harvested chicken fat, but duck fat is Chicken just... or goose. Okay. Chicken or goose. No duck. Or duck. Or duck. Yeah. Yeah, schmaltz. Uh, Ooh, it looks good. It looks duck gelatinous. Fat. It, it, it looks like a little bit darker version of lard, but... Uh... Like duck fat on toast is just it's next level. It's it's so good. Insane. 
It's insane. So good. Yeah. I mean, you, you have to have all your different animal fats, different animal fats. You have to have your ducks in place. That's right. Yeah. All your ducks in a row. Mm-hmm. But no, <laughs> it, shoot no them. It, but, but it, it, seriously, like different, th- like if I'm going to make, uh, make some like, uh, collards or something mm-hmm. then it's lard. A little duck fat. Oh, no, do Although, try that. Do try duck fat. I guess you could do duck fat, but lard, but, but also, right. um, I like smoked turkey, uh, parts. Parts in my oh, do you do that? I always do smoked bacon when I do put collards in. You gotta I, put something smoked. Yeah, smoked turkey or or like a ham hock. Guanchal. Yeah, something like that. It depends on what you're going for. Um, but but the we're turkey... really taking the listeners on a ride. No. <laughs> well, that's the other <laughs> thing I really like. I like talking about gardening. I like talking about Bitcoin. I like yeah, talking gardening, about cooking Bitcoin, and animal food fat and Mises. <laughs> yes. That's your twi- that's your Tinder bio. Hey, ladies. I'm an anarcho-libertarian <laughs> from the Austrian tradition. Uh, I like the four things. Animal fat, <laughs> Ludwig von Mises. Uh, I can't even remember the other two. I'm stuck on animal fat. I think you should just probably put huge fan of animal fat. Yeah. Well, yeah. Let's see what that brings. <laughs> A lot of animals. <laughs> a lot of animals to the party. Actually, right I, I have to. Uh, I have to correct you. So I can't do that. The lady would be uh, upset if she found that I had a Tinder account. So, oh, yeah, very good. Can't do that. Glad to hear it. Can't do that. Yeah. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. I have to say that because she does listen. <laughs> oh my God. Well, ma'am, I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't. You know, well, I make a lot of mistakes. Well, I, 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 <laughs> Who knows what's going to happen after she listens to this episode, though? <laughs> <laughs> you nerd. No, it's going to be. How many? Okay, gonna, how long did it take for you to come out as an Austrian libertarian? Oh, <laughs> uh, like, real or I, I, like, there's certain things. I was going to say, with, with you, it's 10 minutes. <laughs> no, you just, like, there's certain things I had to be like, all right, this is, yeah. this is the deal with me. Because I have I, some problems. I have some yeah. problems and quirks, well, ma'am. The problem is. Like I didn't want to have to just like mysteriously not be around every Monday night. Oh, of course. Well, so yeah. it was like, all right. Sure. So I have a podcast. Oh, you got to and... tell them you do a podcast, right? Yeah, and you have to say it with pride. You know why? Because um, I don't know. Just say you make money off of it. <laughs> you make enough money. Well, you will be able to make enough money one day through Bitcoin, <clears throat> yes, currency, that you won't even need to you know, work a job. You probably won't even need to record a podcast anymore. So right. just say that the podcast makes you lots of money when really it's the crypto, the, <clears throat> the Bitcoin. Yeah. yeah. The Bitcoin. Mm. Moose. So Rollo, what is your favorite shit coin, by the way? Uh, the US dollar. That's Why? The... So, it's the most, so boring. It's the most liquid uh, and it's the mm. most saleable. Um, That's true. It's like, if I'm going to hold anything other than Bitcoin, I'm going to hold something that actually has use. And I can actually like Fair enough. use it for stuff. It's, it's still Rallo the money. Rollo says US dollar more useful than most cryptocurrency. Yes. Oh, no, all of them other than Bitcoin. All, almost all. You should... You- <laughs> No, all like Rollo, Rollo just told me it's better than all 
non-Bitcoin cryptocurrencies. Then all cryptocurrency. I'm putting then all cryptocurrencies, but one. That's, I'm not going to say big. I'm just going to say all cryptocurrencies. Card, Cardano. <laughs> <laughs> really a big fan of it. Oh, um, I'm sure you talked about NFTs on the show, right? I don't even know if we have yet. It's just such a wow. Stupid thing okay. That- hey, we need to get an NFT out there, man. We need to get in on the craze. You, you actually, I have a bone to pick with you. Since we've already been doing this for two hours, let's just extend it a few minutes more. Yeah, it doesn't matter. You were very judgmental. You were very judgmental not long ago to all of those people, such as myself, who are making big bucks off of Doge. And I just want to confront you. Extremely judgmental on that. I I just want to confront you and say, my Doge escapade got me some Bitcoin and a dinner. And I felt satisfied and happy. And I wanted you to know that personally, that despite what you think, despite your truth, I had a lovely time. And I hope that makes you feel good. You can have fun staying poor. Uh, no, I mean, you, you went, it's just <laughs> like you, you went down, you went down to Atlantic city and, uh, played the casino. It was great. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. That's I all, did. I actually was with that. It's just like, no, no, no. I, I was no. And, and I'm literally joking with you because yeah, I, I agree. Know, I know. And, and if you're having fun, no, I agreed like, with I, you. if you're going, if yeah. you're doing it and having fun, like whatever, I don't care. <laughs> but you were pooping on everybody's parade. Oh yeah. <laughs> you, you were being a grouch. That was the problem is that you were being a grouch. Well, no, because I did see a lot of people that were like thinking that dogecoin was gonna be a thing just like the people that thought that like (laughs) oh oh we're doing this with amc now and nokia it's like no you idiot you're just getting people are trying to dump their bags on you or the people that are um that uh the silver squeeze that they all thought oh the next thing we're doing is silver and then all all the GameStop, reddit guys or wall street bet guys like uh we have nothing to do with this silver thing and it was just people holding silver bags trying to pump their bags like good job guys Wild. so like if you're chasing like you know well my my whole thing is just trying to help people not be have dumb money and like if you go and you're looking at something and you say hey i think this is a good investment and it's going to Mm. outperform uh luck or basic chance or whatever then okay do it and if and if you're right, great. If yeah. you're wrong, then at least be wrong for the right reasons. Like you could like mistakes are are fine. And that's the other thing. It's like, well, I made money. Okay, well, do you know why you made money? You just well, got no. I was gonna say when people were saying I made money, even I agreed with you that they didn't even know what they were saying. What they were saying was they made U.S. dollars, right? Which is so dumb. It's like, yeah, you literally gambled and you're gloating online about doing what any average person does on vacation in Atlantic city. Like you said, yeah, they're just, Which I thought was really dumb. Yeah. Plucking cuck bucks. But there were, there was the other side, the shitbag stackers who knew exactly what they were doing and who got in and were partying on Doge for a little while and like manipulating lots of people to put small amounts of money into this useless currency so that they could pull out very quickly. I have nothing but admiration for it. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> and that's fine. But the, the other thing that drove me nuts was that like all these people were saying like, oh, Robin Hood's so evil and everything. So now we're buying Doge because we're going to stick it to the man. It's like, well, how exactly are you wow. sticking it to the man? That's sad. 
because like you're yeah. you're still using the Robinhood app shit. and buy so like they're yep like making money off your trades like <laughs> and you know what you know why I I I did those episodes the way I did was because I was running a victory lap over from over a year ago <laughs> I warned that Robinhood is a place to suck in dumb money and then all these people start trying to trade stocks and do whatever they're doing in there, not having any idea. They just see that the, you know, Oh, I can just put money here and and the stock goes up and I make money and they start doing stuff. They don't understand. And all of a sudden something happens that they think is unfair, but it's just, that's the way the rules of the game are that they didn't, you know, stop and, and think about or try to learn. And so they think this is all unfair and they're getting ripped off when really it's just the way this stuff works. But since they're too stupid to to know what's going on, they flip out and they get their lunch fed to them. So like it was exactly what I <laughs> warned against. Well, so that's yes, good. I'm going to go. I'm going to dunk on those. You should. Well, then fine. So then you deserve a victory lap. Yes. But I did also want to just simply let you know that I had a great time. Yeah, no, that's you fine. have to deal with that. Knowing that you have to deal with knowing that. That's fine. But I just want to no. let you know that when you when you're like running up and you think you're going to have this, you know, your five foot six self, five foot six self, you're trying to do, uh, you know, you're finally going to get that layup because that's the only thing you can do. I just come flying. Hey, in, hey. I come flying in the last second and Dikembe Matumbo the ball right back hey, in your face. If Nate Robinson can win a dunk contest, <laughs> I can I can do a layup. <laughs> okay. No, you take it easy. Actually, right. I think you're They're small. needling you, by the way. So I tweet. So I tweeted this. No, I'm not. By the way, I'm not smaller than Nate Robinson. You watch your mouth. Um, actually, I think I probably am. I think I was thinking of Muggsy Bugs. Um, Rollo just told me the U.S. dollar is better than almost all cryptocurrencies. You're already being needled. You're already being needled. Um, floating rate notes are more trustworthy than crypto. Someone says fat crayons at fat crayons says you're already being needled for this. Just want you to know. They didn't even tag me in it, you. No, of course not. Why would I tag you? Hold on. <laughs> We're doing that. Yeah, he's gonna go. I'm going to answer this on air. <laughs> yes. I'm going to go see what's All going right. on. One tweet in the last hour from TLE Bird Archist. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's see what's happening here. Five foot six and full of tricks. Yes, I am. Anyway, talk- go. To, to let them needle you. Just let them needle you. Let him needle you. He's gonna. You're gonna show up in this comment section. You're gonna. All right. Up. All right. Uh, Corsair Michael, right at top. I genuinely believe that simply because of the word "almost," like it's true. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that one. Yeah. Oh, it's good to know he's back. He told me he was off uh, online for a while. I'm. I'm actually getting Michael on very soon. We're gonna talk about grilling. Oh, dude. Um, which should be a lot of fun. I. Yeah. I've been getting into churrasco. Uh, the Brazilian Ooh. grilling. Holy We're going back into food, Rollo. I gotta holy, go. I have a dog to walk. We can't do it. <laughs> well, we do your dog. Uh, I thought Chirasco. your dog's rational, and he should be able to figure out how to walk himself. Actually, no. My dog is rational in that he's at the door going mer mer, which is a clear sign of him going. You need to get out here and that's, walk me. So he actually is being very rational. That's unconscious action. It's not. It's very conscious. He speaks. <laughs> see Mises has all these beautiful theories but he never met my dog <laughs> so um you know invalid okay why don't you uh plug yourself 
That's uh, I just responded well, to your tweet. I saw. I saw your. I actually was watching you type. Well, you can find me at TLE Birdarchist online. I'm officially back from my Lenten fast. Uh, you can find me at Timeline Earth with my three co hosts. And you can listen to all their individual shows, which are all on the same exact RSS feed. USD is better than your face, Rollo says. I disagree. Uh, I didn't, you didn't read the whole thing. What whole thing? What? Oh, and podcast. Well, it's, well, that's not true. <laughs> Keep two hands on the wheel. All right, uh, that'll all be on the show notes page. Uh, probably not. It sucks, and I want to. Just you know, just go on Spotify and search Timeline Earth. You don't need to put anything in the show oh, notes. Oh, just... I, I haven't. I haven't announced this to Car yet, but we have our uh, our two uh. Sphinx tribes, and uh, guys, we have to make it so that I have more members in the Rollin Slappy Show Sphinx chat that Timeline Earth does. You see, Sphinx chat. You see, oh, yeah, this, he was telling me about yeah, that. Yeah, so all of 100% of Rollo and Slappy Show uh, hosts know about and understand Sphinx chat, and clearly Timeline Earth people are just... Rollo, the only reason that's, that, that, that that's the case for you is because when you discover something, you bother Slappy about it for hours. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> have, you, have you heard about this thing? I don't understand. Yeah, well, because I, I have I, lack I, of understanding. What you call that, I just call having clout. Clout? I have clout with Slappy. <laughs> clout with Slappy? Okay, fine. Oh, right. by the way. Well, I'll I, tell you what, Rollo. I, no, 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 by the way, it's Rollo. I, I need to tell you something. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, the gloves actually, are off. Oh, the yeah. gloves are off, Rollo. Oh. I am officially, at the very end of this episode, challenging you to a boxing match. Okay. Okay, good. So oh, it's about time. So uh okay. Yeah, Kill let's do bird. it. What 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 weight class are we fighting? I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> I am currently at 140 I pounds. The details. There's no, I could never reach you. <laughs> that would be impossible. All right. Well, you can't, maybe we'll have a stick fight. No, you can't I, I I know you can't reach my weight, but you also just can't stop, reach me. Stop, stop. Stop with the. So yeah, I'll fight you. Knew you were going with that, man. I'm gonna squeeze your nose so hard when I see you. Can't you can't reach. You can't People reach that. What are you, what are you gonna have a step ladder? There's no step ladder. I'm literally gonna take your nose. I'm gonna take your nose with my hand, and I'm going to cover your nostrils tightly and squeeze really hard to the point where you're going, "Ow, let me go!" And that's what it'll sound like. You would never. And I'll have it recorded. You would never disrespect my glorious Roman nose like that. <laughs> we'll have to see. We'll have to see. So I was going to say, though, that uh, I was contemplating doing this episode and telling and just like doing it completely normal and just having you be slappy. Slappy? Um, like not trying to <laughs> I do was it. actually going to suggest the same thing. Just talking no, like just. just hey, the, I'm slappy. Yeah. Uh, just like do it like we normally do. Hey, I'm going to introduce uh, or roll over slappy. He's going to introduce Rollo, us. I was reading Deleuze the other day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, slappy. Really? Yes. <laughs> Uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it was, it, it, after I tucked the uh, my fifteen kids into bed. <laughs> Hell yeah! Just picked up the Duluth. Slappy's living the life. Yes, he is. Slappy's living the life. Yeah, he's really he's is. doing domestic things today, so it's uh, Hell that's good yeah. stuff for him. So, Ooh, all right, oh, man. Hopefully, uh, I I uh, I don't know why I get this way. 
because this the point of the podcast is just to like talk things through and explore. But mm-hmm. I am just like so ashamed that I got the Macy stuff wrong. Oh, please. <laughs> Dude, I don't know if you've listened to all of my Pete episodes, mm-hmm. but there's some where I straight up say the wrong thing. <laughs> and I'm so embarrassed. Well, it's but fine luckily, because no, no one knows. Nobody would be able to tell. Yeah. Exactly. You just like start right. throwing out names like, oh, and then uh, the philosopher Peter Buttfungus said, <laughs> like, okay, I guess that's a real person. <laughs> Fagger Alanis. <laughs> <laughs> it was like this past one that you just did. Like towards the end, we just like start throwing out all these different like names and you both, I'm like, I'm sitting there listening. I'm like, they're making up names. And the other <laughs> guy is just like acting like he knows what it is. And they're doing the that back and guy. forth. <laughs> Pete, the other guy. Well, I'm saying, you. no, I meant like you, like you're both doing it. Like you're throwing out a name. Oh, oh, I and see. And Pete's yes. like, yeah, I know oh, that guy. Okay. And then he throws out a name that he yes. made up. You're like, oh, yeah, I know that guy too. <laughs> we actually text about it. Before the start of the show, we go, how many <laughs> fake names can we fool these stupid people listening with? <laughs> Well, that's like I wanted to. Do, oh, that's I, exactly. What I want to do like a bonus episode where we do a uh, and like an NBA or NFL uh, draft preview, where we mm-hmm. just like we all go through like our little like scouting reports and we talk about who like our top like five draft picks we think are going to be, and we just and, yeah, make up yes. all the names. Well, oh, cut this out of the actual show because I'll do it. Okay, let's I'll, do, we'll it. do it. I'm not going to cut it, like, it out because I'll. All right. Okay. Don't. Yeah. You don't. I'm not gonna cut it out. I don't add it. We'll do it. I'll I'll do do that though. I'm really. I love talking about people who don't exist. It's one of my favorite things. Yeah. All right. Yeah. No one. Definitely, no one made it this this long so far. I apologize. That's awesome. Is this your longest? Uh. We had our first one with Vake that we had to split it up into two episodes. Oh, wow. I think we might have had a three-hour one at one point. God. Or no, this is probably probably pushing the limits. I, I, don't, I don't really know. Well, we pushed the limits at least. Yes. Squaw. All I right. don't know if the squaw is... I'm trying to squaw. Squaw at the end of the episode. No, nah, you're supposed, Put it there. You're you supposed to say... Uh, edit the squaw in. Well, you're supposed... You got to do the slappy thing. You know what that is? I'm going to mess it up and be embarrassed about it. Please read it. Say it to me, and then I'll repeat exactly the way you say it. I don't want to mess it up. Peace. Are you ready? That's it? Yeah. You want me to say peace like that? I thought you meant that there's the close. There's a closing statement. Okay, fine. Yeah, that's, <clears throat> right, that's how we close it out. I say, all right, thanks okay. for listening. We'll right. catch you next week. Peace. Peace. <laughs> you did screw it up. <laughs> Why? There's how? Much, much too of a delay, and you just like... Oh, and then peace. and then no, it's just peace. <laughs> Let's end it. Peace. That was all right. Peace. You just you just made it worse. <laughs>